Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast, Wayne Hassan with Jolly Idiot Owner. I'm your host, Richard Hutchinson, and you're listening to episode 68, Behind Thunderdome. Back from being beyond the wall of the Christmas period, and hopefully he's picked up some good manners and etiquette from a more civilised location, it's my fellow podcast host, Peter Davis. Good evening, Pete. Well, I was in Scotland, if that means anything. Hmm. And did you pick up any manners and etiquette? Uh, menes. 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 He's going all posh on us. Yes, what's going on? What's all that about? Well, funny enough, you mentioned the word manners, Rich. That's my uh, my mom's maiden name, my grandma's, my grandma and granddad's name, manners. Oh, there we go. Now, desperate to prove that his maths is better than Jason Smith in a quiz, it's Andy Preston. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, lads. You're right. Yeah. Had a good Christmas. Yeah, very good, very good. Champion. A few uh, few Star Warsy presents, so that's always good. Mm-hmm. And finally, a new guest host to the water, making us have more members than all of the iterations of Deep Purple. It's Andy Norton, also known as Spoons. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Rich. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for having me on. And did you have a good Christmas, Andy? Fantastic, yeah. A lot, lot of driving up and down the country, but yeah, can't complain. It's good. Awesome. Now, we can't have two Andys tonight, so I'll probably be calling you Spoons to keep things easier. Did you have a good Christmas, Richard? What did you do in the north? Did it snow all the time? No, nope, it rained all the time. It's still raining now, honestly. Every day, rain, rain, rain. Right, so, okay, guys. So, before Christmas, uh, we all discussed things that we're hoping to get for Christmas, Secret Santa and things like that. So, I'm pretty sure you picked up some great purchases. So, we'll start off with Andy. So, Andy, what did you get for Christmas? You've already alluded to a little bit of it. Yeah, got a few nice bits. Nothing vintage for Christmas, so uh, I've had to sort myself out there, but uh, I've picked up a few nice bits. I have got a, I suppose the highlight is probably a triple bill quad poster. Um, so this was uh, around about the time of Return of the Jedi, and just after the uh, Jedi release, they did a tour around the country of the triple bill, Star Wars, Empire and Jedi, and there was a quad poster produced specifically for the uh, for the triple bill. Been looking for one for ages. I've always already got a uh, Star Wars, Empire, Jedi uh, quads. I've got the double bill, but uh, I've always been missing that triple bill, so delighted to pick one of those up. I got the uh, Empire Strikes Back, Han Solo and the Princess, the love theme sheet music. A bit of a rarity, so again, nice to have that one. I picked up a Reader's Digest magazine. Now, a bit of a story behind that one. Um, this is a magazine from November 1977, British copy, and uh, this has got a feature on the making of Star Wars. Obviously, November 77, this is before the movie had even come out in uh, Britain. So interesting that they're already publishing making of articles. I used to uh, often go around to my uh, grandparents when I was a kid. 
And in the days before video games and consoles and all this sort of business, you'd be there and you'd exhaust the few opportunities they got for fun. So you'd be looking for something to do. And uh, I always used to like to read. And if boredom struck, I would turn to my grandparents' bookshelf. And my grandma had got this little stack of Reader's Digest magazines. And, of course, the one that had the Star Wars feature was always the one I'd go to first. used to love reading that. I must have read it dozens and dozens of times when we visited. So I've been looking to pick up a copy of that for ages and ages. Really, really pleased to have one of those for my collection. Great bit of nostalgia there. And then the uh, the other thing to mention, uh, I've picked up a, um, I thought it was a flyer when I bought it, but it's not. It's actually a page from a comic or a magazine advertising the appearance of Anthony Daniels and Dave Prowse at the Forbidden Planet store. Uh, this was something that was done in May 1980, coinciding with the release of Empire Strikes Back. They were doing some promotion for the film and they were promoting the Forbidden Planet as well. So uh, they had the uh, two stars there. Uh, I've got a feeling Mark Hamill popped along as well but he wasn't actually advertised um, on this uh, uh, this this advert this uh, print ad so not only have i picked up the advert but it's also got vintage autographs from dave prowse and anthony daniels um, which is great really pleased to have that so uh, yeah that's my little roundup awesome andy it's nice to see you finally sorted yourself out as well for uh, we've all been waiting for that just out of interest though did your grandparents ever win anything in the reader's digest prize draw not that I know of. I think that was a bit legendary, wasn't it, in the 70s, 80s? I don't think anybody ever win anything. Same photos of the same prize winners for 20 years. I don't know how people got conned in that. <laughs> right, well, over to me then. So I did get some vintage for Christmas because I was part of the Secret Santa. For my Secret Santa, I got, and the highlight of it was a 1977 tip-top Star Wars. Well, the, some people call them trading cards. Some people call them ice stickers. But it has R2-D2 r5d4 and luke in that iconic sand crawler uh, seen on the front of it it's absolutely brilliant um there's a there's a website which will share on our social media that has all these things about these little um stickers but i'm just going to read a little bit about it now distribution of the stickers came through new zealand's tip top and ice cream manufacturers and 18 different stickers came with specially marked ice cream bars notice it's smaller than trading cards 1977 tip top r2d2 space stickers are approximately three inch by two inch now, what's really special about these is that nine of stickers actually features um, Ralph McCorry's artwork on the front of them, so that's absolutely awesome. So, we'll share an article on them, that's absolutely brilliant. We did talk about these a little bit before to one of our guests, because there's a big poster with R2-D2 on the front of it, um, which, is, which is an awesome poster, so I was absolutely delighted with that. I got some Star Wars erasers as well, the Santa's erasers, so I've had the Jedi once in a while, so I'm starting to collect the Star Wars ones. And finally, I picked up six HC Ford Mini Memo Notebooks. Now, they should have been done under the Trade Descriptions Act because these are actually macro memo notebooks. They are bloody tiny. I've never seen them before, and I realize how small they are. And I can just imagine that, I don't know, if I, if I was a kid around the turn of Jedi time, so what, six, seven year old, I wouldn't be needed to get two words on a page when I had to turn the page over. So I've got six. I think it's a full set. Turn the Jedi with Han Solo on the front. Princess Leia in an indoor gear, and one with C3PO to date, one with Luke X-Wing, one with Yoda, and one with Darth Vader. So I'm absolutely delighted with my pickups. Pete, over to you. So what have you got over the Christmas period? Well, technically, Rich, I didn't get anything, but oh, I did forget some. I did forget some stuff. Not um, the naughty list. Uh, well, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. There was no one really to buy me vintage because people would just, you know, they buy. Well, I'll come to that in a minute of um, Star Wars tats at Christmas. We should have a little mini competition during this round, this uh, discussion of what, who got the worst B 
bit of Star Wars because I got plenty of it at Christmas. Um, but no, there was a couple of things I didn't mention. Um, farthest from, I forgot to mention that I got that some Star Wars vinyl. It was the London Philharmonic Orchestra Star Wars by Demont Records. And it's because the, the cover is so... Oh, I don't, I don't want to say it's bad because it's not bad. It's it's just the composition of it. It's another one of those ones where someone took major license with some of the uh, the Star Wars kind of things. Luke Skywalker seems to be in a very disco pose with his hand flat in front of him, pointing down, and then he's holding a kind of I don't know light dagger, not 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 a lightsaber. He's holding the the light source in his hand, and then personally, it looks ridiculous. Ben looks like an old man. Um, that you find down the pub on a Saturday afternoon reading the the Racing Post and moaning about beer. C-3PO looks like he's got a ball gag in his mouth and uh, Darth Vader's kind of just shoved it there in a corner. Um, but yeah, I, I put up for a couple of quid at uh, Father's From the Way Out. Now, there's a couple of things I was given, Richard, given. These are freebies, freebies. Graham Marshall gave me a couple of items, which was very, very generous of him. The first one was um, just the instructions from the... Uh, Bestman Freeze Chamber on for the micro collection, which is very nice of them. One day I will get the actual Bestman Freeze Chamber. Hopefully Andy Preston has a, a spare one. No, sorry, Andy Spoons has a, a spare one he can throw to me one day. And then he gave me a card back, which I'd never heard of this before. Apparently it's, it's quite unusual. So this was a Canadian Toy Fair card back where they stuck a bunch of cards together and for display and there's a bit of an argument over the years whether these were all from this canadian toy fair display or these were from you know the 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 multiple sets they did so the reason why you know it is one of those is because you can still see the bits of card back from the card that was stuck on it um, attached to the back and you can see the kind of like adhesive layer um, that was glued to the front of the cards so graham's given me one of the cards obviously it's not you know it's just a plain card back ripped yeah, this is it's a very odd thing. So Canada's version of Toy Fair in the 80s. Apparently, Kenner used such glued-together card figures as decorative trim for their Toy Fair booths. Crikey. <laughs> Think of that now. You've got like 50 layers all carded up on a booth. Oh, my goodness. Not all of them are from the Toy Fair. Some people reckon that they come from those, those multi-packs. So a, a nice little unusual piece, a very, very generous thing from, from Graham Marshall there. So continuing his... Was interview last month. He actually gave me some some gear, which is great. But yeah, have you ever seen that story before, guys? Yeah, I've I've seen that story before. I've, I've well, when I, I've got a Han Hoff with the same sort of tear across the front, which I think was part of a multi pack. But there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion with these Canadian cards because people will say that they're Toy Fair examples if they've got that tear on, but you also get the cards as part of multi packs where they're they're stuck together so you do see a lot of canadian cards with tears on not not disputing yours pete but um my one i think is, is a, probably a multi-pack rather than a toy fair i have no idea I, what mine is but you just never know i have heard that story pete about the toy fair and uh, people who um again i'm thinking back to an old old forum post but i can remember stories of a whole row of carded layers all stuck right across the top of the booth as you say, figure after figure after figure, all glued together. Must have been a heck of a display. And uh, uh, yeah, crikey, what a what a thought destroying all those lovely mocks. Well, it's unpunched, which obviously gives it a bit more. You know, that obviously it was some something, and not someone just sticking glue on the top of it. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, what I also wanted to mention was that um, bad. I mean, when, when you come to you, to mention your stuff, what awful bit of tat did you get? I think the worst bit of tat I got, which which was a book 
called How Not to Get Eaten by Ewoks. It sounds great fun, but it's not even a toilet book because all the information is really cheesy. And so it's taken five minutes to put a book together and, you know, charge 10 quid for it. Uh, but, oh, God, that was awful. Oh, awful piece of bit of tat. Oh, look, he likes Star Wars. We're getting that. Yeah, you got me. I mean, I got some rubbish, but I didn't get anything like that. But Spoons, move on to your next. What vintage stuff have you got for Christmas? I got some great stuff, but first I must say sorry to Pete because I can't help him with the best pin freeze chamber. I do have a loose one, and I think it's one of the uh, the best items in the micro line, but I've never owned a box one. So uh, one day I wouldn't mind getting one myself. But in terms of uh, what I picked up over Christmas, I, I also got some fantastic stuff from Secret Santa, really made up. I got three coin purses, and I don't own any of those. I thought it would be quite a nice to start a run of those. So Darth Vader, Jabba the Hutt, and Stormtrooper. They, they look really good, so I'm going to hopefully get the rest. And I do – I've got a little run of Maruka Keshigomu. So I don't know if you know anything about Keshigomu. It literally means erase rubber, these Japanese erasers. Uh, and I've got a little run of, of these sort of rubber TIE fighters with a couple of other ships. So I thought it would be quite nice to add some other stuff and i got a land speeder and a y-wing off my secret santa uh, for christmas and i've and i don't really know much about these things i've been doing a little bit of research and there's two main lines of these there are more but there's two main ones there's the maruka ones and takara ones and this generally thought the takara ones are a little less detailed i don't know which ones mine are now so i need to do some more research i have a feeling secret santa's got me some takara ones but they're really nice so I'm going to have to do a bit more research into this, and it looks like I've, I'm on the start of a of a new run, Japanese rubbers. Yeah, I also picked up uh, Return of the Jedi comic, quite an iconic one, with the free badge with it, where there's a big spelling mistake, and on the front it says free bagdy. I got that from Tim from Snoopers Paradise. He had a couple of those, uh, so I've now got one with a badge with the sellotape on, but the sellotape is has dried up so it's fallen to the bottom of the, uh, the the bag that the comic stored in otherwise i picked up a 45a han hoff palatoy car back with a with a figure um, a bit of a palaver that one i very rarely buy loose figures anymore and i'm glad my loose collection was completed a long time ago because it arrived it was meant to be childhood collection arrived with a reproduction blaster i was, I was pleased that i haven't lost some of my skills and could see it was reproduction it's one of the newer ones but it just felt wrong when it arrived so the, the seller was very happy he said he, he bought a batch of he's been selling off his figures and any ones without guns he'd been selling off his, uh, with with reproduction guns so he said i've got the original somewhere i'll send you another one i called in some help from the uh, the master of variations in blasters james kennison and even from the photos it was hard to spot so we sent another one that was also reproduction eventually an original came through so now i'm looking for a, a bubble to create a, a reseal for that one because it's a very rare card to find it's uh, i think we'll be we're talking about later and lastly a purchase from vectus back in november that i'd totally forgotten about normally rely on the services of our close friend rich to pick up stuff for me from, from vectus this is just some paperwork Oh, I can't, won't be too much for them to post it down anyway. Still £7 to post, post two bits of uh, paperwork. But I'd forgotten all about it and had a, a missed parcel letter through the, through the door, a little postcard. And so I popped down to the post office to see what that was. And it was a German catalogue competition uh, for Parker. 
that I'd bought at, at Vectis. I'd only seen one before on Star Wars Forum UK many moons ago. Uh, looked really interesting. Quite strangely, the um, the ships on the cover, the photos of them are yellowed, like the original ships would do themselves. It's, it's quite odd. But key in with it, and I hadn't even read the description for the uh, the lot very well, was a compliment slip from the making of Empire Strikes Back. It's absolutely brilliant. little uh, six-by-four piece of paper with compliments from Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and that's Chapter 2 Productions UK. And it's got the it's got the Elstree Studios address on the slip, but it was, uh, it was EMI back then. I think the EMI Elstree's combined not long after. But a, a lovely little piece. So I'm very pleased with that. Awesome stuff there, Andy. Um, and I'm pleased to say that your connection seems to be pretty good at the moment. So that, that's great. So some great pickups there. Going to be a nightmare out of that. <laughs> but anyway, that's all part of the fun, isn't it? Okay, guys, so as we all are aware, you know, Christmas is pretty much Star Wars month. Great to see a new movie out of theatres again. Um, we missed one last year, and it was a bit of a miss, you know, and it's going to be missed next year as well. But we've had some great stuff out. Now, before we very briefly touch on The Rise of Skywalker, I really want to plug the Kaikast last episode, which I've got about 15 minutes left to listen to that. And Sky and Steve do this fantastic top winners, top losers for the sequel trilogy, and they've done it on The Mandalorian. I think they've done it on some of the standalone movies as well. But the most recent one, they've done it on The Rise of Skywalker. But when we get to about a third, heading towards halfway through, Sky and Steve really delve down in the ride of Skywalker. And I've got to say that their conversation is absolutely brilliant. It's among the best of the episodes of Kaikast that I've ever heard. So if anybody really wants to go into a really in-depth discussion of the ride of Skywalker, all super positive stuff. You know, the, the two guys change their minds, bouncing ideas off each other. It's an absolutely fascinating listen and it's really really opened my eyes up to some features of the movie i personally have only seen the movie once it's the only one of the sequel movies and all the disney stuff that i think i've only been to the to movies to see once but i'm going to have to go back again soon because some of the stuff that you've said i've went oh yeah i've got to go and watch that again with with new eyes now personally uh rise of skywalker i enjoyed it i enjoyed it as i've done all of the movies so far um, I really like The Last Jedi, and I know I'm in a very, very you know, small minority. I loved the prequels as well when they first came out, and I know I'm in a minority of that as well. And I have to say The Rise of Skywalker was an enjoyable movie. Did it tick all the boxes for me? Nope, it didn't. I agree with a lot of what Sky said about Star Wars ended at the Return of the Jedi, and these aren't Star Wars, and, and personally to me these are movies set in the Star Wars universe. I think personally it's a tragedy what they've done with the uh, Han, Luke and Leia story arcs. Personally, I think The Force Awakens should have been far more about Luke, who, when you actually look to see what he's done in the last three movies, has been pretty much not a lot. Uh, yeah, he had his greatest role in The Last Jedi, and a lot of people didn't like it. I would have preferred The Force Awakens to be much more about those, um, and then handing the torch over to the, the newer characters. But I have to say, by the end of The Rise of Skywalker, I did enjoy the newer characters more. I still have no real interest in Finn. I've got no real interest in Poe. But I thought Kylo and Rey's arcs have come together uh, much better. But, yeah, I'm a Star Wars fan. I've read all the EU novels. And to me, this is just an EU novel that's been, you know, put out into uh, onto cinema. I've seen 
you know, a lot of these in the comics, a lot of storylines, the cloned emperor, the, you know, the, the, the resurrections, I've seen them before, you know, they've appeared many, many times in books and novels, but it's a very, very fun movie, I enjoyed it, but it's not one that's going to last like the others. So, we'll move over to Andy Preston, okay, so Andy Preston, Rise of Skywalker, as soon as you've seen it, what did you think of it? I really enjoyed it, Rich. Yeah, I thought it was a good return to form. Um, I, I'm sorry, I didn't really like The Last Jedi, didn't really like some of the story choices, didn't like some of the characterization. I uh, thought Luke was handled very poorly and also didn't really like what they did with the new characters. So uh, not a terrible movie, but certainly not one of my favourites. And I thought Rise of Skywalker was a big return to form. Very, very enjoyable. Lots and lots of fun. Really felt like a Star Wars movie to me. I thought there was uh, lots of little nice nods back um, to uh, original trilogy and to uh, the, the rest of the saga. Lovely to see Lando back again. Won't go into uh, spoilers too much, but uh, again, some of the original trilogy characters, some of the main characters had some nice little callbacks, which was lovely. Really enjoyed seeing the the, the new trio, Finn, uh, Poe and Rey, um, out on an adventure together. I thought we'd really missed that again in The Last Jedi, and uh, they gelled really well. Very, very good chemistry. Like some of the new characters, Zori Bliss, uh, Janna, Babu Frick, I thought they were done really well. Again, agree with you, not a perfect movie. Things that could and perhaps should have been done better. But uh, on the whole, really, really enjoyed it. I've been and seen it, seen it twice now, enjoyed it even more on the second viewing. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing it again. Spoons, did you take your kids to watch uh, The Rise of Skywalker or did you go solo? No, first time I went with friends, I went to the midnight screening. Um, so we're going in not really very high expectations at all so it took a little while to i guess settle down relax enjoy the movie and then uh second time went with the kids and yeah they loved it thought it was brilliant uh, really reignited their passion for star wars again so yeah i think it works on all levels really as i say good return to form i think the the real crying shame of this sequel trilogy is that they didn't have an overarching idea of plot and an overarching hand on the um, director's tiller to steer the whole thing through. Uh, it was a real mistake, I think, to swap directors, to abandon a lot of the story ideas that were set up in uh, at The Force Awakens. Brave choices, I suppose, but uh, it, it didn't work for me. Um, and I was pleased that they reverted again to J.J. Abrams to finish the trilogy uh, and pick up on a lot of those plot threads that he'd started in The Force Awakens. Made that trilogy hang together a lot better than I thought it was doing up until then. <laughs> This is going well, isn't it? Spoons, you went off sounded like Andy Preston there. Eh? Yeah, I thought I thought we called Spoons to avoid confusion. <laughs> shall I uh, shall I tell you about my experience now? Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Andy Preston's probably wondering what the hell has went on there. Eh? I've seen the film twice, Rich. Uh, there's a tradition: a couple of guys at work, we go to the midnight viewing when when that's on, and we, it's always at the the IMAX uh, 3D screen in Sheffield. Uh, this time the only way you could get tickets for that is to buy tickets for all three films now i'm not a fan of the last jedi and the thought of having to sit through three films in a row anyway would would wipe me out but sitting through a film that i wouldn't particularly enjoy to then watch the new one wasn't going to work luckily uh, i think my friend really wanted to see all three but it was going to cost him 100 quid a pop and he was uh, he couldn't be bothered to spend that so he got us tickets for the next showing so that was at 3:45 in the morning which is absolutely nuts. So I went to bed, set the alarm for half two, and just got up, drove to the cinema, and thought it was absolutely brilliant. I couldn't fault it. Yes, there's plot holes, there's plot devices, there's convenient bits and bobs, 
but it all worked for me. It all felt very original trilogy, which are also full of plot holes and, and silliness. One one thing that's that's forever stuck in my mind, even as a kid, was watching C-3PO and Endor, this bright golden droid surrounded by people dressed in camouflage. You know, it's that it was just daft, and they've always had those things through them, and I don't mind them. You know, that's that's part of their charm. Uh, I thought J.J. Abrams did a brilliant job fixing what had gone wrong in The Last Jedi. I, like Andy, didn't like Luke, didn't like the new characters. They just, they weren't likable people, didn't really work. He fixed it. He explained things. I was, yeah, I was in heaven. I, was, I, sh- I shed a solitary tear at the end. You know, was, I got a little bit emotional, don't mind saying, and uh, thought it was brilliant. So then took the family uh, a couple of days later, I think it was the first day of the school holidays. So we saw an afternoon showing and I was I was a wreck. I really was. Um, it was I enjoyed it even more. It, all the sentiment bits just got me seeing seeing Lando, seeing and I've, you know the three main new characters, Ray, Finn, and Poe. Thought I, I wanted to see more. I, I don't know if you listened to the Rebel Force radio uh, comments on this. They say the same. That they, I want to see more films of those three in. And I and I'd, I get what you're saying about the original characters and and how they didn't do them justice you want to see them together but this is this is a new set of films for a new set of fans and i didn't mind that at all i quite i quite like luke's limited role in this um i enjoyed seeing the other characters as well it it worked it it, it continued the story i mean i suppose if my only criticism would be r2d2 i thought this was meant to be the story as as told through r2d2's eyes and he's really been underused because they want to sell new toys of, of bba and now uh, and dio uh, which <laughs> were my part of my uh, christmas presents from a family actually many ones of those but I, yeah i thought it was, it was absolutely brilliant and of the three new films by not by far my favorite because i really like the force awakens as well um but but certainly uh, the front runner of those three yeah that's a bit, I, I guess it's because i've read so many eu novels now i just I see, you know, I've read great books, I've read rubbish books, but they're all just stories and I move on. It's possibly why I like like The Last Jedi the most out of the three, because it was just so different. Now, moving on to Pete. Pete, you've probably been one of the most positive people discussing the new movies in our private chats and things. So, did The Rise of Skywalker put the cherry on your pie? (laughs) Pies on my cherry? You can't have a uh, cherry on a pork pie. That'd be terrible, you strange man. Um, when I was, oh, I'd, so I've seen it twice. I'm going again tomorrow with my mom because I owe her because she was the one who took me to the first one at the Regal in Leamington in 1978. So I'm taking her, as I have done all the films, I'm going to take her to the um, Rise Skywalker tomorrow. Yeah, so I mean, when when me and my brother were going to watch it in Scotland, now he hated The Last Jedi with a, you know, he really did hate it. And 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 I'd already seen it, so I was trying not to spoil it for him or anything. But um, he said all he wanted was a good old-fashioned, you know, science uh, science fantasy bit of nonsense. Not too much talking, lots of spaceships, lots of action, lots of running around, not taking it too seriously, and just fun. And come out with a smile on your face. And he came out with a smile on his face. I already liked it because it was exactly all of that. Like one of the Andes said, I can't remember which Andy, um... Star Wars isn't about precision. It's not about the 
you know, getting everything spot on. I mean, I've had arguments with people who, who got upset on Twitter because we didn't get the whole backstory to why Ray could swim. You know, utter nonsense like that has infected the Star Wars fandom, you know, utter rubbish. And I've said it many times, Star Wars isn't about accuracy. It's not science fiction. It is not explanations. It's about just see, what you see is what you get on the screen. Enjoy it and have fun. So, yeah, I thought it tied everything up pretty well. Looking back at the three films, I was a fan of Last Jedi, as you were, Rich, because it did exactly what you said. I'm more of an EU comics person than I am the novels. And, I, and I'm talking to EU right from the start, right from the off, from the old Marvel comics. This was the, these are the stories I want. Crazy nonsense, stupid aliens, things that don't always make sense, just running around doing daft things. And that's exactly what it was. That last Jedi threw us out, threw us out of our comfort zones and did something completely different. And that's what I liked about it. Looking back at the three films now, after seeing all three together, I've got to say that The Force Awakens doesn't look good. I have to say, I don't know about whether you, you see the same thing, which I think it looks, it was too much of a, a shoe in of, you know, it was a, obviously a, a kind of a remake of Star Wars. And it just doesn't, it doesn't play brilliantly well. I need to see all three together, really. But um, I think overall, I'd say Lucasfilm and Disney really should have had their heads smacked together. I think missing the trick with the, 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 the legacy characters. I know Carrie Fisher dying kind of threw that off a little bit, but I think they should have had, we should have, the Force Awakens should have started with, with the three old, the three oldens doing something daft and getting into trouble and someone, someone rescuing them. <laughs> and then we go from there. I think if you had started with that, you would have kept a lot of people on side. I think they have lost a lot of faith with the old, uh, old fans. Yeah. Hey, and, hey, can I just uh, ask, ask a quick question? Yes. Um, say- they didn't like Force Awakens because it was a remake of Star Wars. But is Return of the Jedi not a remake of Star Wars? And The Rise of Skywalker is also now a remake of Star Wars. It's just it's the same film with different bits in. But isn't that not why we love it? Yeah, to an extent. I, I just think it was the, the fact that it, it came in too familiar. I think you can have those same themes throughout the the, the films. I mean... You know, if you look at Empire Strikes Back. Well, what what is the what is the plot of Empire Strikes Back? There's it's, there's not a lot really happens. There's some great scenes, but as an overlying storyline, it's it doesn't. It's actually quite similar to Last Jedi. They're kind of getting chased through space, and then there's kind of a, a reveal at the end, and that's that's about it really. Or a big epic kind of like, oh, they killed Snoke and come and join me in that. So, you know, I mean, not much happens in the film, but it's all about the scenes, you know, it's all about the Star Wars scenes, which, which are good. But it's not, I, I don't like Force Awakens. I just don't like it as much as the other two. I think the other two have overtaken it because they're a bit more original, a bit more, there's, there's some crazy stuff happening and there's, you know, memorable, bonkers characters. But yeah, I I, I think that they, they, they missed the trend. I think Luke's and Disney, I think they'd be disappointed with themselves looking at how they've managed the three projects, you know, I mean, how hard is it to write a story? As Richard said, there, there are literally thousands of EU novels out there, you know, and there's thousands of stories with Luke, Leah, Han, and Offsprings, and the Emperor getting cloned, <laughs> resurrecting himself, and being resurrected, and doing all sorts of nuts things. That that they did pick up some of those those ideas from those storylines, and they've they've kind of put them in there. And I think think that's what worked. I think the the Force Awakens it could have been a bit more braver with its choices. Like I said, I mean, you could have had a real good handing off. You know, you could have you could have even killed a couple off at the end if you wished. Um, well, but, they should I mean, have done. They should have done. But I'll tell you something, though. 
I would like you to go back and listen to the episode when we briefly reviewed The Force Awakens because you and Grant and Jez ganged up on me yeah, and absolutely right. panned me for seeing the stuff that I'm still seeing now and that you are now telling me you think about The Force Awakens that I told you when it first came out. Or honestly, honestly. No, I think I think you're misconstruing, which I'm saying out out the looking at the three together, it's not the strongest of the three. Because, you know, it's it it almost didn't go down the the lines it was suggesting. But at the same time, I think the theme of the Force Awakening, now there, there was something I remember saying at the time which I can't remember if I said it on, on a podcast or said it in one of our chat groups, but the Finn being awakened. And I think that was nice to tie then. I think that was one of the nicest tie-ins of the three films that when Finn decides not to shoot and he kind of looks at Kylo Ren, you get a kind of a weird noise in the background. I remember stating that I'm sure something was happening. That's why I thought he, they might, you know, he might be turned into a Jedi or whatever. But that kind of came round that, that something did happen in the Force. You know, a bunch of stormtroopers decided not to kill people. And, uh, you know, the Force did awaken in them. It actually suggested that maybe in their brains that this wasn't the way to go in life, to go and killing innocent people. And there is a different path for you. And I thought well, that was quite nice. So the word, the word things people have criticised these these films, saying it hasn't tied up it. I think it has tied up a few bits and pieces, but I just think it could have been a bit stronger in the legacy character, uh, legacy character and how they handled them. And I think a lot of that was because Carrie Fisher died and uh, not messed it up, but they couldn't follow the story because it was. I remember they were talking about this when when they first were making the films. The first, the Force Awakens was supposed to be Han's story. The Last Jedi was supposed to be Luke's story, and then. Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia was supposed to be this film story, but that's why I think things did slightly change because it, you know, obviously she passed away and they didn't have anything to go on. So, but yeah, I think we'd have, we'd have got a completely different film if she'd have still if she'd have lived. I think the three trilogies have their own different aspects. I don't think anything will ever beat Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back in the way they were, and the first half of Return of the Jedi until the Ewoks, which were awful. And uh, I think I think yeah, three cracking little trilogies. I can watch them. There's, there's, there's really bad points in all of them and brilliant points in all of them. So uh, overall, I'm quite happy with it, to be fair, Rich. I'll, I'll, I'll see it a few more times before it's off the cinema. So, uh, yeah, all right. Not bad. Right, well, cheers, people, for that 45-minute review of The Rise of Skywalker. Well, you asked for it, man. Now, we're, we're going to talk about The Mandalorian, but we're going to have one minute each because we're going to tighten this up a bit. So Mandalorian, for me, I was really unsure about who I called Green Gizmo when I first saw um, Yoda or Baby Yoda or whatever the hell it is now. But I've got to say that I absolutely love The Mandalorian from start to finish. Even the episodes that are so-called weaker, there was some great stuff in there. I think they've absolutely nailed that. I've never been Dave Filoni's biggest fan because I've always thought that some of these some of these arcs are just, you know, too harpening back to some stories that weren't really need to be told. He's obviously got like this peer service to fans, you know, by bringing Ahsoka back thousands of times and various other things. And and I do like Ahsoka, but a, I mean, part of the thing with me with Rise Skywalker is the, the amount of deaths that didn't happen. And the movies would have been stronger if some of these characters were killed off for me. So I've never been Filoni's biggest fan, although he's told some great stories. But I've got to say, the Mandalorian absolutely nailed it. That is... Star Wars, you know, that that is a great time period, and I want to see more than Mandalorian. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Yeah, loved it, Rich. Really, really enjoyed it. Like you, I think it just screams out Star Wars from start to finish. It's just got the right vibe to it. It's got such a sense of fun. Uh, I think that's the word that most sums up this whole series, just fun. You get the impression that Filoni, Favreau, they must be huge fans 
of the original trilogy, it's almost like somebody has got a bunch of action figures out, played with them, thought, yeah, this is brilliant. We're going to film this. Uh, or again, Pete's talking about the uh, Rise of Skywalker. It's like the Marvel comics. Uh, it's it, it, it's just sort of putting on screen what you've always dreamed. So much from the original trilogy, the characters and the settings and the scenes, little toy references in there. It's made with so much love, so much attention to detail. And I can't wait to see where they're going with it next. Really, really enjoyed it start to finish. As you say, I don't think there was a weak episode amongst the bunch. Now, Spoons, obviously you've probably not seen The Mandalorian because it's not available in the UK. So have you heard any whispers about it? Yeah, luckily... Rich, uh, I, yeah, I just flew over to America just to watch the uh, the series there because obviously I wouldn't do anything illegal. And luckily, I have seen all the episodes, and and I also think it's brilliant. Um, I wasn't raving about it as much as some others. It felt, I think you alluded to, it felt very Dave Filoni like, which I liked. It felt to me like a live action cartoon. It was very Rebels esque with that that story arc through eight episodes or so not a lot happened in some episodes it was it was quite visual i think think in episode two particularly with the with the sand crawler and the jowers it was great 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 nods back to the original trilogy but actually as a story not a lot not a lot happening there's a lot of uh, sentiments um and good visuals and i really enjoyed it but yeah there's not not really that much much going on I, i'm a huge spaghetti western fan love the um the dollars trilogy i might even have watched them more times than I've watched the Star Wars film. So uh, he, and, you know, I don't know whether it was deliberate with the voice, but he just nailed Clint Eastwood completely with with the way he was. Um, and I don't know whether this was deliberate as well. And I've not heard it mentioned, but he's known in as Manco in the Spaghetti trilogy at times. And the similarity between Mando and Manco is is clearly there. But I don't know whether that's accidental or, or meant by um, by Dave Filoni, but. Really, really good. I've only watched them once. I do need to watch them again to spot all the little details and stuff that I've missed. But yeah, definitely be watching series two and we'll be subscribing to Disney Plus when we finally get it. Awesome. And definitely giving us high hopes for Disney Plus and their other series that they've been touting and rumoured to come out. Pete, um, we're not going to say that you've been the source of our uh, Mandalorian <laughs> content because you definitely haven't been. Oh, well, yeah, not. Yeah. What, what, are you, what, what are your thoughts on it? It, it was interesting that Andy said when you you know you go back and see stuff. Um, when I was watching it, I, I spent my New Year's with a mate, and we decided you know I can't bother drinking and stuff, so we'd watch the whole of Mandalorian together, the uh, the whole this whole season. And uh, there was something that happened about halfway through, which I I thought, how did we miss that in the first place? That the Ming Na Wen uh, actress who plays the bounty hunter, the, the assassin they're going after, actually tells you that all the Mandalorians have been killed on Navarro. I never picked it up at the time. And you're thinking, what's she talking about? And of course, you go back and watch it and go, yeah, she, so they all know that all those Mandos have been killed. Of course, you don't find that out until they go down into the, into the, um, to the, the underground or the sewage works. And you find out that, that all the Mandalorians have, you know, are no longer wearing their armor because they are dead. And, uh, I thought when I first saw it, I thought they'd all run away without the helmets on, but no, they're all dead, which is quite interesting. But in, in the overall kind of season, I thought it was more about the Mandalorian. So the, the episodes were very kind of, we're going to learn something about the Mandalorian in this episode. Either we're going to get some backstory of him, uh, some history, his, his incentives in his life, his history, his own personal history. And I thought that was done really well. And I think uh, a lot of people kind of didn't pick up on that all the time, that it was actually about that character rather than 
having an overarching kind of story where that was going to really capture everyone. It was we're learning all about him. So I'm assuming that that now we've learned all about him and his history. We'll we'll move on and uh, have a different kind of season two, I would think, where we're now going to you know see what he can do and uh, and where we're going with it. But uh, yeah, I I mean you know, overall very good. Um, I think there's been a bit of a backlash across the Star Wars fandom, and I think it's been addressed. If you look at the Mandalorian and the way Star Wars was going, it was getting too involved in social issues and trying to keep everyone happy, if you understand what that means. And I think the Mandalorian has ignored the way that was going with things like The Last Jedi and stuff and the way that Star Wars was rep- representing itself behind the scenes, front of the camera, behind the camera. I think it's just going, you know what, let's just go back to what we know, which is good old-fashioned science fiction, science fantasy, killing, shooting, starships, action, great characters. And uh, that show has definitely done that. It has, it has pulled us away from nonsense, which has infected lots of shows like Doctor Who these days. So, yeah, good, good stuff. Awesome. So, sounds like uh, we're also a positive of The Mandalorian, and we are fairly positive about The Rise of Skywalker. Right, moving on then, Andy, now you've uh, volunteered to go over the quiz again, so just a few tests for you, Andy, two or two? Uh, six. Six, yep, okay, right on form, yep. Okay, take it away then, Andy. This is a quiz based on snooker. Uh, for those not familiar with snooker, that's probably rich and I, I guess most of America. It's a game that's played by men with different coloured balls. Anyone played snooker before? Yes, and I'm very good at snooker, I'd have you know. Uh, yeah, I've had, uh, had, had my time as a student. Never never any good at it, but uh, yeah, like, like, like a bit of snooker, pushing the balls around the bays. So for those that don't know, snooker is a little bit like playing pool. It's played on a bigger table using more balls. Uh, Each player takes a turn to make a break, potting as many balls and scoring as many points as they can before handing over to the next player. In each break, you've got to pot a red ball uh, first, which is worth one point, then a ball of a different colour, and those are worth between two and seven points. Uh, After you've potted a colour, then the player's got to pot another red, then another colour, and so on. So in this quiz version, we're keeping it a little bit like the rules of the uh, the, the, the proper snooker game. Uh, each player is going to have one turn, one turn only, to make a break and score as many points as possible in that break. So the turn's going to start with a red question worth one point, and the player can then choose a colour. So the the easiest would be a yellow question worth two points, and then there's green for three points, brown for four points, blue for five points, pink for six points and black for seven points. And of course, the difficulty of the questions increases with the points. You should be able to answer the yellow questions fairly easily. Blacks are going to be tough. Uh, In this game, there are five red balls. So unless you get an answer wrong, you're going to get a total of 10 questions, uh, a red, a color, a red, a color, and so on. If you do get an answer wrong, then your break is over and we're going to move on to the next player. Okay, so moving on to the questions. So, Spoons, you are starting your break with a red ball question. Which figure disappointed kids when it was released 
because a feature that had been previously advertised was not included. That would be Boba Fett. That is correct. That's one point. Moving on to a colour. So you can choose a colour between yellow and black. You, you're familiar with the snooker scoring system, are you? I am indeed, and Fantastic. even had a copy of Snooker Loopy on 7-inch uh, when, when I was younger. So Brave man admitting that. <laughs> I, I, I might have even bought it from a brother, to be fair, but yeah, it was definitely in the house. Uh, so that's yellow, green, brown, blue, pink and black, I believe, according to the song. That's quite so right. I'm, I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for green. A green question. Okay. Which vehicle comes with a retractable wheels feature? That would be the land speeder. That would be the, the land speeder. Correct. So you move on to a total of three points. And your next question is a red question again. Which was the first TIE fighter vehicle to be released in the Kenner Palatoy line? Which TIE fighter was first to be released? That was the white. Is this the for the three and three quarter inch? Or the, sorry, the, yeah, this is the three and three quarter inch. So that would be the white TIE fighter. That would be the right white TIE fighter. Correct. That moving you on to four points. And your next choice of colour, please. Let's try a, a blue this time. A blue question. Okay. Can, can I just interrupt there before you go any further? I'm sure Andy's went red, green, red, and that to me is five points. But you, you, he's on four points at the moment. Have you screwed the scoring up already? <laughs> uh, 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 Good point, Rich. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Rich. So do you want to go back and do those again and get the scoring right? Or? <laughs> nope, I think it's funny. I will leave it as it is. So just to confirm that Andy has got one point plus three points plus one point, which is... Which is five. And he's going for a blue question. Okay. Which vehicle includes a movie character built into it as part of the design? That would be an X-Wing fighter. That would be an X-Wing fighter. Correct. That's five points. That takes you on to ten points. And your next red question. Which action figure wears an eye patch? Prune face. That is correct. One point to a total of 11. And your next choice of colour, please. I'll try a brown this time. A brown question for four points. Uh, which Return of the Jedi figure has a unique weapon, which is a variation on the weapon of a first 12 figure? R2-D2 with a pop-up sabre? I'm going to give you that one. The answer that I was looking for was Rancor Keeper. Because he's got a variation on the Tuscan Raiders gaffy stick. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that is correct for four points. So that moves you on to 15 points. And your next red question Which Hoth playset has an exploding bridge feature? The Imperial Attack Base. That is correct. One point. That's taking you to 16. And your next choice of colour, please. Go for a black. Uh, black. Oh, getting tough now. OK. The Lily Leddy Jower came with which weapon? Oh, uh, he came. I can picture it. Who's, whose was it? It's a little black blaster. Is it Nick Numbs? 
It is a black knee numb blaster. Very good. Seven points. So that's taking you to 23. Back to a red question. Which vehicle has a rotating radar dish and laser cannon, two prisoner restraints, and carries six action figures in the side pods? That's the Imperial Troop Transport. It is indeed 24 points. And your last choice of colour. I think the, uh, I'll be surprised if I get a black again. Let's go for another blue. Uh, another blue. Okay, who wrote the book From Meccano to Trilogo? Stefan Forcourt. Correct. You have cleared the table. That is a five-point blue. That takes your total to 29 points. Very good. Hard act to follow there. Okay, so... Next person up to the table is Pete. I'm going to pot the white here, aren't I? <laughs> Have you got your cue chalk, Pete? Uh, yeah, but I've, I've eaten it. I thought it was uh, one of those marzipan things. Oh, I don't think that's going to do you much good. <laughs> well, we'll see when it comes out, what comes out. Right. OK, so up to the table, we are <laughs> starting off with a red question worth one point. Which action figure has an accessory that is another living creature. Uh, Yoda with his snake. That is Yoda, that's correct. Buy yeah, one! Hey. the whites! Okay, so we move on to a colour question. Which would you like to go for, Pete? Ooh, give us a pink. A pink question. Okay, pink worth six points. Which was the last figure released in the overall vintage line that came with a lightsaber accessory. So this is all vintage figures, everything that counts as being vintage, which was the last figure that came with a lightsaber. R2 pop-up, I guess. Well, as, as, as this is your first colour, I'm going to give you that one. The answer that I was looking for was the droids R2-D2. Ah, I wouldn't give it to me personally. I said no. Well, if it, was the, if it was your last one, I probably would have done. But uh, that's six points, Pete. That but you do you know the rule on this seven. podcast, that and you do know the rule on this podcast is droids and droids and evils don't count. No, I don't know. No, <laughs> those, vintage, those lines don't count. We don't vin, talk about those. Vintage do we, figures. <laughs> Go on, keep going. <laughs> I think I was I was in good stead there. Anyway, keep going. Okay, well you, you, you're through anyway. You've got you, yeah. You, you, you fluke that one. Fluke that in off three cushions. Okay, next red question for one point: Which green creature has a trapdoor in its back for figures and a movable head and tail? A uh, Jewback, I'm hoping. That is the Jewback, correct. That takes you to eight points. And your next choice of colour. Ooh, that's another pink. Let's see if I can, I can flute this one. Another pink, okay. In the Empire Strikes Back, Imperial's three-pack, <laughs> which bounty hunter came with the Imperial Commander and the Attack Driver? So they were two. Which bounty hunter was the third figure in oh. the Empire Imperial's three-pack? Uh, Bosk. Pete, I'm afraid that is incorrect. The oh. answer is Dengar. Oh, that bandage so, get. That bandage get. You have missed, I'm afraid. Oh, well, go. back to my pint. Back to your pint with a total of eight points. Stepping up to the table now, we have Rich, a great snooker player in his youth, I hear. So uh, let's see how you're going to get on, Rich. So we're going to kick off with a red question for one point. Which was the first figure released with an open face helmet? 
Mm, right, I'm going to say a desk work, Commander. That is correct, one point. Well, I'm not going to get 29, so do I just go safe early? Let's go for a blue. A blue question. Okay. Which company released the original Star Wars line in Japan? I always get the two mixed up, Takara. Correct. Oof. Very good. So that's five points, and that takes you up to 13. Uh, no, it doesn't. I'm sorry. That's. Uh, I'll take 13. I'm filling that in on Pete's line. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so five points. That's taking you to six. Uh, next red question. Which action figure comes with a cloth apron and a toolbox? Ugnaught. It is the Ugnaught correct. That's putting you up to seven points. And your next choice of colour, please, Rich. Let's go with a pink. A pink. Okay. On the shrink-wrapped Kenner Canada card, what was the name given to the figure otherwise known as the Atat Commander? General Viaz. That's excellent. Very good. Sink the pink. 13. And on we go. Next red question. Which action figure specifically wears Bespin fatigues, according to the card back description? Luke Skywalker. That's correct. So that's another one point. That's 14. And your next choice of colour, please. So you've got, um, you've got one more colour. And then red colour, red colour to go. So you're trying to get to 29. You're on 14 yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Let's go for blue. Let's build my score a little bit. Another blue. Okay. Rich, how many variations of the Pelotoy 12-back card back are there? How many recognised variations? Three. That is correct. 12A, 12B, 12C. Very good. He's, uh, he's cooking now. So that's another five points. That takes you up to 19 points. Your next red question. Which playset came with an escape pod accessory? Land of the Jabbas. That's correct. That's one point. That's taking you up to 20. And your next choice of colour, please, Rich. Brown. Uh, brown. Okay. Which figure is known as Z6PO in French? C3PO. Brown for four points, that's 24. And your next red question. Which figure was an error in design and only came packaged with a Cantina adventure set? The Blue Snaggletooth. That's correct. 1.25. So you need a brown ball to tie or anything better to win. Right, because I'm not a pussy, I'm going to go black. Going to go black. Go big or go home. Exactly. Nail biting for all the ends. And see spoons sweating. Okay, Rich, how's your three-pack knowledge? Terrible. In the Star Wars Villains three-pack, oh. Star Wars Villains, mm. which figure comes alongside Snaggletooth and the Tusken Raider? Want to go with Walrus Man. Rich? That is incorrect. Oh, oh Richard. You rattled around the pocket and came out again. The answer He's is Boba said, Fett. He said he was good at snooker. What a oh. crazy move. Going for that black. <laughs> Do you not know the rules, Rich? God, oh, Rich. That was a brave attempt, Rich. He well should have used the rest. You should use your rest, Richard. <laughs> nah, I should have done. I should have played right handed. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, you finished you. on 25 points. Pete on 8 points. Yes. 
And the snooker champion for tonight is Spoons on the he's grand total of 29 time. points. Congratulations. Well, well thank, name. thank, thank you, Andy. I feel more like that Rich lost rather than I won. I, I don't know what he was what he was doing there, but well, yeah, I'll, I'll take the plaudits. Yeah, there's another bonus. <laughs> right, guys. Great quiz that, Andy. As usual, you bring lots of comedy to the show when you don't intend it. But, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely awesome stuff. Right, guys. Moving on, then. So, um, obviously, newest acquisitions. There's been some great stuff. Absolutely brilliant stuff out and about. I don't know if anybody's had a look at the Imperial Commissary, but they've had a great Vintage of the Week feature where they've had guys try to dress up as vintage figures, but on their card backs. And there's been some incredibly creative stuff. So, great shout-out to whoever nominated that on the on the IC. One of the best collectible of the week vintage of the week you know things i've ever seen really really good stuff and well done to those guys who've done such a bad job of doing it it's absolutely brilliant like the guy who's got ham on his face for nine norman stuff like that brilliant absolutely great yeah rich i think you're underselling it i think it is it's just the imagination that people have used that, yeah. that it's not just someone who's who's like used photoshop they have gone to their kitchens they've gone to their kids bedrooms they have put on ridiculous outfits they have put cardboard boxes where cardboard boxes should be, and they have made proper cosplay <laughs> costumes, and they are absolutely hilarious. If you don't, if you haven't seen this, they're going to put together a, I think a, a page dedicated to all these images, and they are they are laugh out loud images. They really are proper, brilliant, creative. If, if, if you remember our costumes from Facts yeah. that time, it's of that standard. <laughs> that standard it's is just genius. Yeah, but but in a good way. So I yeah, think yeah. if I mean I love a lot of people do cosplay and they do it really well. But to me personally, I prefer this kind of cosplay because it's just the guy with the yams on his face or sweet potatoes pretending to be a walrus man. I mean that's that, that killed me. That absolutely killed me for about half an hour. I couldn't stop laughing at it. It just looks so funny. <laughs> Right, okay, so over the shout-outs then. So, Andy Preston, I'm going to start off with you first. What have you bring to discuss? Yeah, cheers, Rich. Well, this is something that was posted by Dublin Jeff on SWFUK on the forum. This is on page 2405 of the latest acquisitions. And he's picked up, not a vintage item, so uh, a little bit of a technicality here, but uh, he's got a Detolf cabinet that he's picked up at a local market for 20 quid. Absolute bargain there. But why I've chosen to give this one a shout out is because of the little story behind it. So he says, it's been a little while. This is uh, this is Jeff. He says, it's great to be back posting. He says, as a few of you might remember, uh, I've put a full loose beta run together for my little one a while back. So a couple of years ago, uh, Jeff's collected a, uh, I think it's a full 79 run, beta figures. And this is for his little girl. And they've had lots and lots of fun collecting those and putting those together. And he says, long story short, fast forward now to an eight-year-old, a little bit more interested in iPhones and PlayStation. So I decided to properly display her collection. So he's been out to the market. He's found this debt-off cabinet, brought it home, set it up, and they've uh, arranged her collection of figures in there and it just looks fantastic he says uh, as soon as the little one realized i was upgrading her loose collection he's been buying us some accessories and bits and pieces as well he says she's been straight onto it immediately up to see what's arriving back checking the coos just like dad he says forget playstation she wants to play return of the jedi tomorrow so 
this cabinet. Um, it's the standard IKEA Detolf cabinet, glass cabinet, uh, four shelves on it. It's got the collection of loose figures displayed. And I don't care what you put in a Detolf cabinet. I think it looks fantastic. Really, really shows off these figures to their best. Uh, so you've got top shelf. You've got a collection of Star Wars figures from the uh, first Star Wars movie. And there's even a carded Darth Vader at the back there. Uh, second shelf down, you've got Empire Strikes Back. So we've got all the bounty hunters, all the Hoth characters. There's a Wampa, there's a Tauntaun at the back. And then the next two shelves down, we've got Return of the Jedi. So you've got all the Jabba goons um, and the Emperor and uh, the, the some of the bad guys. Uh, and then the next shelf down is the Ewoks and the Biker Scouts and all the uh, Endor guys. Really, really looks fantastic. And how great to see a dad enjoying Star Wars with his kids, getting the next generation into it. And that they're obviously really, really enjoying their collecting together. And what a fantastic way to display a growing collection for a little girl. Brilliant. Yeah, awesome stuff. And uh, glad to see Dublin Jeff back on the forum. So, yeah, brilliant. That's what it's all about. You know, don't have to spend a lot of money to have a great bit of fun. Spoons, moving on to you. Well, I've picked uh, on Alistair Mack on Star Wars Forum UK, page 2402. And it's it's a very nice item, very rare, but it's a mini rig. So, you know, mini rigs don't have much load. I've picked this one because it's uh, an Int 4, Interceptor 4, which I've got a focus on. So I love them. And it's a, a piece I don't own. I've never even seen one for sale before. So And his it seems to be in beautiful condition. It's a special offer Int 4. I didn't really know anything about special offer vehicles. We didn't have them over here. America only. I think Australia might have had some as well. Not, not sure on that. So I went to the um, Star Wars Collectors Archive to, to look up on them. And I was amazed at how many vehicles actually came with these, these special offer free figures. So the Interceptor 4 came with a, a free Attack Commander, which I thought was a bit weird which an attack driver would be more sensible if you look at the um the box that's who's who's in it but there is an attack commander on the on the image as well but that, as i say there's 26 vehicles all coming with figures but from across the line they, they end at the empire strikes back range and i and i just assumed they were they were only empire strikes backs really so kind of the, the waiting for return of the jedi coming out you stick a free figure in, put a sticker, and you, you sell a bit of your old line. But they've, they've, they've been there through, throughout. Particularly, there's four other Empire Strikes Back mini rigs that come with free figures. And I, I thought it might be interesting to see if any of you know what figures came with which mini rigs. So if I was to say, I mean, it's fairly obvious in respect, but if I say the MLC3, it's mobile laser cannon, does anyone know which free figure that one came with? It should be a rebel soldier, shouldn't it? He's the one on the box art. It's not the rebel soldier. Ah. If you think so, the a bit like the Interceptor 4, it's the rebel commander. So it came with the MLC3. MTV7, it's that little motorbikey thing. Rebel soldier. <laughs> it's, it's, your thinking's good, Pete, but no, it's the Atat driver. So there's a bit of a bit mixing up. I would have thought the Hoth trooper would be the obvious one for that. Yeah, but it's not. It's the it's the Atat driver. Uh, PDT-8, that's that little little transport. This one seemed, I'm sure, I haven't got the image in front of me. I'm sure this one's actually one who's in it. Does anyone know that one? I think Jason, what he collects. 2-1-B. 2-1-B, good one, Rich. <laughs> and the, uh, I don't, is he on the box art? Is that who's who's driving it? It's always FX-7, isn't it? It's FX-7, yeah. Uh, and and this one is, this one does make sense, Cap-2. 
it'll capture two. Who's in that one? Bosk. Bosk, yeah, back of the net. Yeah, that's that's right. But fantastic things. I've, I've, I've wanted to own one for a while. I've never really looked into it, but I'm certainly going to be looking out for any special offer things, I think, after seeing Alistair Mack's item there. So well done, Alistair Mack. Yeah, awesome stuff there. And I think the article you're referring to was written by Steve York. Great article. That uh, needs a bit more love, that article. It's been a while since I've checked that one. Right, I've went on to Facebook, and it was a post by Mark Huber over on the Star Wars Empire Strikes Back Vintage Collection Group 1988-82. And I started reading the story first. So for Christmas, my wife bought me a slide scanner. So I began digitising all my parents' slides and negatives. And I had to test it on something Star Wars, of course, and I used a prototype Hoth-based slide that I recently acquired. So far, I'm impressed with the quality. So initially, I just looked at the slide and I thought, that's a nice slide, that'll be like that. But when I looked at it closer, I thought, oh, excellent, it's a prototype Hoth attack base. And I thought, I've never seen that before. And obviously, from the comments, I mean, even the likes of Ron saying, I've never seen it before. It's an absolutely amazing image. And then that got me to think a bit more about that base. And I, I think it deserves far more love. Now, let's face it, it's never, ever going to be as good for a kid as a duvet. Nothing matched any Hoth playset like a duvet did. Um, and I'm sure I drove my parents mad by taking the duvet cover off so many times so I could play uh, Hoth scenes. But I asked Ron, uh, as part of the Vintage Rebellion Alliance, if he could give us some information about the attack base. So let's cut over to Ron now. The Rebel Alliance is too well equipped. They're more dangerous than you realize. Hello, gentlemen, and Happy New Year. This is Ron Salvatore for the Vintage Rebellion Alliance. Today I'm going to talk about the Imperial Attack Base playset, one of the first playsets Kenner released in conjunction with the Empire Strikes Back. First off, I need to correct an error. I realized while putting this together that I have the date wrong in the Archives Toys section. The Attack Base was, in fact, a 1980 and not a 1981 product. It's always good to correct your mistakes, even if you made them decades ago. Just ask your mom. The attack base was actually one of two Hoth-themed playsets released in that year. The other was the Hoth Ice Planet Adventure Set. That's the one with the cardboard AT-AT, in case you're like Sky Payne and you're ignorant of basic information regarding the toy line that you collect. After all, his trademark is stupidity. Since the Ice Planet Adventure Set was basically just a rejiggered version of the Land of the Jawas, it was probably fairly easy for Kenner to develop it. The attack base, on the other hand, was entirely new. The whole thing had to be sculpted and patterned, tooling created, and so forth. Based on the evidence I have on hand, the toy was being heavily advertised by late summer 1980, often in conjunction with the rebate program being run by Kenner at that time. Toy World had it at $9.13 after rebate, naturally, while J.C. Penney had it at $8.92, Montgomery Ward at $8.97, and others as high as $9.99. That Christmas, three of the major catalog retailers carried the product. The JCPenney price was $9.49, while Ward's was $9.94, and at Spiegel it was a whopping $10.98. But if you were Scrooge McDuck and really desirous of making a holiday splash, you'd go out of your way to buy it through service merchandise, where you'd have to plunk down $12.95 worth of those gold coins you like to swim around in. If you're thinking, what about Sears? Well, for some reason, Sears decided not to carry this item in their catalog. Okay, enough about prices and whatnot. What about the toy itself? Well, it was a snow fort, like you build on snow days when you're at home with your friends from school. That's really the best description I can come up with. Now, it's been a while since I've seen The Empire Strikes Back, so maybe I'm just not remembering, but I don't recall a scene where the stormtroopers fight out of trenches carved into the snow. 
The rebels did that, right? That's my memory. Kenner might have been swayed towards making this a specifically imperial snow fort by a pretty fab piece of conceptual art created by Ralph McQuarrie. It showed the stormtroopers utilizing a trench system beside the Hoth shield generator. You can see that in a book entitled The Art of the Empire Strikes Back. Remember that Kenner developed this product in 1979, prior to the release of Empire. They didn't have much reference material on hand, but they did likely have that Macquarie painting. So maybe that's why we got an Imperial attack base rather than a rebel defense base. Not eager to market in a mobile plastic fort to small children, Kenner wisely equipped the attack base with several nice action features. The following verbiage from Kenner's 1980 Toy Fair catalog nicely describes these features. From the ice planet Hoth, an action-packed play environment. The rebel forces versus the stormtroopers. They've got to invade this enemy base made of ice-carved trenches. Press the ice levers and exciting action begins. The ice bridge collapses and creates battle rubble. Look out! A mine pops up and explodes. Even the command post blows up. But first, they must capture the laser machine gun. When turned by hand, it makes a firing sound. Star Wars action figures each sold separately, assembly required, ages four and up. Leave it to Kenner's marketing guys to try to sell you on the playability of Battle Rubble. In The Empire Strikes Back, of course, the Rebel base starts to collapse as Vader and his minions enter it. I'm sure that inspired the toy's several blow-up features. At this point, you're probably thinking, geez, dude, here we are wanting you to tell us about some interesting production history, and you're rambling about snow forts and price rebates. Get to the good stuff. Well, truth be told, I don't have a ton to say about this toy's development. As far as I know, there's not much pre-production material out there that relates to it. Fortunately, California collector Mark Huber recently shared a scan of a slide that he owns. It shows the original concept model for the attack base. Prior to his sharing it, I'd never seen this model. What's a concept model? Well, basically, it's the first three-dimensional iteration of a toy. It's used to rough out the basic concept of a product and present it to management. I wrote an article on concept models many years back. You can find it by googling the SWCA.com concept models. As you might expect, the model looks like the production attack base, only different. The command module is a lighter color gray, and the collapsing snow bridge has some goofy stairs incorporated into it. I'm doing a bad job of describing it. It's best to take a look for yourself. Mark was kind enough to allow us to showcase the slide on the SWCA. You can find it by going to our homepage and clicking What's New. Yeah, I said homepage. You like that? Don't hear that one much these days, do you? My homepage. Like I'm an AOL user or something. Like I'm logging in via dial-up circa 1998. Oh, Chris Jagulius also reminded me that the attack base that appears on the 41 back blister card appears to feature a command center that is bluish in color. Uh, so that's another pre-production tidbit you can look for. Uh, that's about all I can muster regarding prototype stuff, but really, take a look at Mark's slide on the archive. Uh, seeing it is a real treat, especially if you're into prototypes. The Imperial attack base hung on for a couple of years, but by the time of the Return of the Jedi, it was out of the line entirely. By 1982, when the toy was old hat, Toybox was offering it for a mere $5.99. You know how much $5.99 is in today's dollars? A hundred million. Just kidding, it's actually $18.70. Slightly less than a Baby Yoda toy. A Baby Yoda toy that won't be available until spring, by which time you probably won't even like Star Wars anymore, because Ryan Johnson said something on Twitter and you're really mad or whatever. That's all I have this time around, guys. I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. And you are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away! And cheers for that one. I was absolutely
split and laugh and listen to that. That was one of the best short little recordings that I've heard in a long time. Some fantastic stuff there. I was really, really surprised that Tiaz hadn't released that. Now, I did a little bit of research on the, on the SWCA about this, and I just had a look to see, you know, where it was available and stuff. And I don't know if, guys, have you ever seen the Tall Toys logo that's multicoloured? No, I've never, never even heard of that, Rich. So I just thought, you know, what what is out there? Because often when you go on the SWCA and you click the links, you can see all sorts of, you know, wonderful images. And they've got images from Toy Fair and stuff like that. Expect to see, and it's, it's great seeing stuff like that. But every now and again, there's just a little gem. What I want you to do is to just look at that logo in the top right-hand corner. Now, how amazing is that? Absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Really, really good. So just to describe it, because um, our listeners won't be able to see this until it's on social media, or, of course, you go to the archive website it looks like a rainbow tall toys written in in a kind of rainbow format i've never seen that before so i'd like to find out a bit more information about that it looks brilliant rich i've i've never seen that before does it appear on other tall toys toys non-star wars toys or is that exclusive to star wars it's it's brilliant i know a lot of australian collectors out there maybe one of them can help yeah absolutely that's what i want to know great stuff that um, so I thought, right, okay, it's releasing Toll Toys. We've got to go to, uh, to Canada. Whenever we go to the Canadian websites, we've got to go to Scott Bradley's website. I was expecting to go on there and find, right, what are the Canadians going to do? Because the Canadians always do something awesome. So I thought, you know what? What they're going to have? They're going to they're going to have it wrapped up with the you know the vintage Death Star. They're going to have it wrapped up with a rocket firing fet or something. So I thought, right, let's have a look. Click the links. Scroll down. And I was so disappointed. Canada haven't done the attack base and all its glory and like what they could have done. It doesn't come with anything. It doesn't come with anything. I mean, obviously, it's got the great bilingual text on there, which which is great and it's always brilliant. But uh, I was really disappointed. I, I wanted I wanted it to come with a torn torn. I wanted it to come with something, but never mind Canada and Mr. Tweet there. Uh, guys, I'd like to spend a couple minutes talking about this because I honestly think the reason why this attack base isn't is loved as much as it should be is because it's so easy to get hold of and i think people just get one and then you know right i've got the attack base but when you look at what it's got if you look like what you know if you just listen to what one's just said there if you look at actually what it comes with it's awesome it's absolutely brilliant i mean the catalog description that i mean one's went through most of this uh, leave us on the ice trenches and the battle is on the ice bridge collapses. You have battle bubbles in interesting idea. Um, the command post blows up. It 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 has a it has a landmine that pops up. It has it has a rotating cannon. It's trenches. It's absolutely brilliant. And and I'm I've looked at it so many times. You know, I thought you know it it deserves far more love than what we give it. I've all, always liked this one. Never had one as a kid, but when my children were younger and they had a, a good loose set of vintage, that was one of their favorite toys to play with I, I thought it's a good one to get in good condition because it doesn't got any stickers on the on the basis i'm sure you could just bung that in a dishwasher or something or come out come out lovely the one thing i do think is wrong with it it should be the rebel base surely where the the in the film the imperials are marching they're they're attacking they're in big walkers shooting down on the rebels in trenches i think it should be uh rebel defense trench that would that would be better and you know rather than a, a gray hut have a brown one or something but um, but it is a fantastic toy as you say rich it is i can't agree with you more spoons it uh it, it's it, whoever came up with that idea of putting the imperials inside the trenches just bonkers but uh, as a toy 
what a what a what a toy! I mean, it's got so many play features. The playability is just fantastic, isn't it? I never had this as a kid, but a friend of mine did, and we would spend ages playing with this. I mean, Star Wars. When you got your action figures out, it's battles, isn't it? It's the good side against the bad side. It's setting them up, knocking them down. And what's better than having a base that you can attack and uh, and you know once one side's defending, one side's attacking. You can bring them in. You can blow them up with the mines. You can collapse the bridge on top of them. It's just fantastic. And the laser cannon uh, again, to, straight out of the Empire Strikes Back movie. What's not to like about it? I have uploaded the image that Ron Salvatore talked about in that interview there, the Ralph Corey painting. So if you click on that image, Pete, I'd just like your thoughts on what Ron said. Do you think this could have inspired the design and certainly the box artwork and things, you know? I mean, it's a gorgeous painting. I always love Ralph Corey's paintings of um, scenery. I, I love the blues and the, and the, the, the whites and greys and that he uses in his colours. Well, if that influenced it, then they made it white, so it didn't. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think is I think as a as a little placer. Again, the same as the other guys. I never had this because it was always, ooh, is it this or is it an Atat? Was it this or was it a Millennium Falcon? It was this or was it a Slave One? So it was always, oh, well, I know playsets. I can make a playset out of paper mache. I can't make a Millennium Falcon out of paper mache. It would flop too much. But yeah, I'd I'd say there was uh, just just they just take the best elements of. Of those scenes, isn't it? Um, blokes in trenches. I mean, you know, what's to, <laughs> what's not to enjoy when you're doing wars? When you can have people in trenches blowing each other up and things going pop all over the place. So yeah, I, I'm sure it did influence it. Not sure that picture definitely influenced it, but uh, I think just in general, as a playset, it hit a lot of uh, a lot of the right notes for uh, war play. Yeah, so awesome stuff. You know that and that image of the prototype slide that he's shown is now on the SWCA so we'll share it on social media but by all means go go and check it out on the on the SWCA pages there as Ron's discussed. Now Pete a nice tie into what Mark Daniels talked about last month um, with one of his items so what have you brought to the table? This kind of stems from a tragic incident in Scotland over the Christmas period. Um, I took my nephew to and the dog to St Andrew's Beach and we're going to fly some kites because that's what he likes doing. And uh, for some reason, for the, the first time ever I've ever known it, it was not windy. There was no wind. There was nothing. It was as flat and dead as you'd ever seen it. So we're right next to the sea on the beach with a very unhappy kid with no kite. We tried everything. We tried running down the beach, tying the kite to the dog. We tried everything. And it just it wasn't it wasn't having it. It was so dead of a thing. So I was looking around for something to, to go on. And I saw Mark Fur had posted a little kind of uh, arrangement of items that he'd picked up recently and i thought oh kites well, don't go to st andrews no wind but uh it did kind of like um well it hit my fancy and i think andy uh, andy p it hit your fancy as well because it wasn't just a couple of kites so it was it was the let me get it let me get it right let me get it right because i'll get the wrong terminology here it's the x-wing versus tie fighter palatoy high flyer keel kite and it seems to be one in its wrapping uh, that you would get in a shop or whatever and then one it came in a cardboard tube um, which was a partoy rep example um still sealed and taped down and it came it was it's got it's dated i think it's 1978 october 1978 i think and uh, i've gone to some guy in grimsby lucky him and uh, the, but there's also a, a palatoy um card I guess a little card saying i don't know what it actually says the card if you click onto it i think it's just the the palatoy reps business card and a pen 
But the thing that got Andy very excited, and I saw him getting very excited, which was a empty packet of Outer Spaces from KP, uh, which actually had the fighter kite offer onto it. Andy, you've been after this for ages, apparently. Um, how when you save someone, you're a kid. Oh, too right. No, I remember having him as a kid. But uh, I mean, who saves an empty crisp packet? Uh, we're going to come on and talk about <laughs> lolly wrappers later on. I mean, who, who would save those? But crisp packets, come on. <laughs> They're just not there to be found. I've been literally looking for one of these for 25 years. You asked Darren Simpson. Every time I've seen Darren at the memorabilia shows going back God knows how long, I've said, look, have you got one of these crisp packets for me? No, I haven't. <laughs> how much, how much would you pay for that crisp packet? How much would you go to, roughly? Uh, how much would I? Well, I, yeah, I wouldn't would go, you go to. I wouldn't go to what somebody paid for one on uh, eBay uh, a little while ago, which I think was five hundred pounds. Five for hundred pounds for a five p crisp packet for a Christ. used crisp packet. That's from memory. It might even have been higher. Can't remember, but uh, it, it was more than I was prepared to go anyway. <laughs> how how uh, well do these survive? Do you think in the ground? There's all the talk in the past about going looking through landfill sites. They survive. Yeah, it's the print that doesn't survive, but that, you know as much. But I reckon if you if you went digging, I mean, if you went what we call uh, land landfill mining now, which is a term we've talked about in the past, I reckon you'd find them. I really do reckon you'd find them in reasonable condition because they don't. I mean, we we saw that what was it thirty forty year old newspapers could still be be pulled apart and you could still read them. The the ink was still there. Um, I bet, I bet, yeah, because you think when you, when you see crisp packets like flying in the street, usually the print had gone, hadn't it? It, it just completely, yeah, yeah. you know, two or three times kids had greasy hands on them, they'd started to rub off. But I reckon if they're in the right environment, could we, could we make you a million, Pete? <sighs> Get dig him in dodgy crisp packets, but then we'd flood the market and then it'd be worth 5p again. But um, just going back to the kite, now it's a bit, I bet Jason is just sitting there listening to this and going, oh, I can't believe I was on because. Actually, his uh, his website has got a nice little feature on this kite, <laughs> which is rather amusing. Um, so he'd be going, "Oh, guys, didn't bring me on for this. How dare you!" But um, just just a very, I just I just read from his site the uh, the actual sealed normal uh, keel kite. The front of the packaging has high flyer keel kite. So you spell fly on on it, and a picture of the kite which is blue and has an X-wing fighter on it being pursued and fired upon by a Tie fighter. Those devious tie fighters with their red laser beams mm. but um it looks it's it, it was it four feet wingspan and a unique flex hinge construction so hey there we go and it's made in the usa it should be odd but there we go you're thinking surely china and uh yeah and it actually had the address of the colville factory and palatoy logo to the right underneath where it says made in the usa so a nice little piece well a cracking set of pickups really i mean that's a that's a lovely set i mean the People seem to be buying business cards from from <laughs> Kenner reps um, all over the shop, and they're, and they're going for like I saw someone selling a bunch of the day. They're getting like hundred pound per business card. So goodness knows what a Palatoy business card will be worth. Probably two hundred pounds. But yeah, um, a nice little nice little pickup from Mark Further. Very nice. So awesome there. Well done, guys. Those are excellent items. Great to see all of them in such a nice mix. Without any further ado, let's move on to revolutions.
tail of two stickers. Palatoy Perfection. C-3PO in all of his glory. The Rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Okay, Richard, a tale of two stickers. This sounds highly controversial. Well, it is, Pete, and I don't want to bash the seller too much, although we still don't really know exactly what's happened here. There's a strong suspicion of what's happened. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes chat going on, I'm led to believe. But a post on the Star Wars 12 Packs and early Vintage Collectors Group appeared on New Year's Day. And it was from Steve Dwyer. And Steve's posted up a dislike drama, don't wall, but we feel as though this one's necessary. I missed a piece being sold on the group last night, I was informed about it after. How does a second store label mysteriously appear after the fact? Any insiders want to speak about this, feel free. I welcome the original seller back to the group to give any extra info that I'm not aware of. So just to describe what we've got here. We've got a 12-back C-3PO. And it's a beautiful, beautiful card. There's a bit of a crease at the top. And in the top left-hand corner, it has a price sticker. And it has Prange written on the top of it. And there's information about who Prange are in, in the thread that followed. With a 199 price sticker. And then there's a second image. And on the second image, it's been graded by CES. It's scored an 80. Uh, really, you know, it, it is a really, really nice um, card back and, and bubble and figure. And where the 199 price sticker was, there is now a Target price sticker for 259 over it. And that obviously, you know, got a lot of people querying and what's went on here, what's gone on. Um, the seller, the original seller was um, Seth Hastings. And by all accounts, lots and lots of people are vouching for Seth. And lots of people have said he's a good guy uh, who's possibly done wrong here and there's a few people are vouching for him. But obviously we've had this happen before with other sellers such as uh, the guy who did John Paul out of the Power Droid. You know, a lot of people had uh, vouched for him. And this is Seth's explanation of what happened initially. So I'd like to shed some light on this issue. First off, I'm responsible for a portion of this incident. I purchased this piece and many others of the collection in early October. Upon delivery of the collection, this piece was sold soon after. Approximately one and a half weeks after the sale, the seller contacted me and wanted to sell it back to me. Now there's my first clue there that something's not right, okay? There's my first clue. Why would somebody buy an item and then sell it back to the person? I mean... You know, quite a lot of people are buying items, sticking $50, $100, and then reselling it on. But, whatever, they could have been friends, so, okay, we'll, we'll move on with that one. He purchased it back from him due to a family emergency. There's a second red flag. I then noticed the extra price tag, and this is where I made my mistake. I obviously was aware of the tag issue, but noticed no damage. So I sent it into CES, thinking they would either deduct for the damage, accept it, or simply refuse it, as I've sent items to EFA in the past with multiple tags, and they have either accepted them and graded them according to damage, or in some cases, rejected them. Upon receiving the package from CES, the item received the 80. I listed the item, a buyer immediately contacted me, i.e. disclosed the entire situation regarding the extra tag. Knowing that he paid for the item, 
In conversation, I could tell he was having second thoughts, and I offered him a full refund, and he accepted it, which is fine, fair enough. We then were speaking on the subject, and both agreed it was in the best interest of the piece that it be removed from the acrylic, and that the extra tag needed to be removed. I did so, showing the buyer the open case and cord. While there was no way of knowing any prior damage, the removal of the extra tag damaged the cord, removing small sections. I concede my judgment was poor in this matter, as the piece should have had should have either been discarded or sold as is. The explanation of the extra tag. Thank you for your attention. Now, I was not comfortable with that at all. Absolutely not comfortable. And thankfully, many others as well um, had pointed out things that they weren't happy about. So, Dan Lotz was one of the earliest ones to comment, and he said it looked like a failed attempt at removing the first sticker in the first place. And then the second sticker uh, was added to cover it up. Now, we've heard of this before, and there's so many threads on Rebel Scum. I can't remember the name of the toy company now. Was it Dallas Vintage Toys, possibly? And others have commented on this, such as things like, well, it's different sticker types. Target is a big name store. I don't suspect that they would change price sticker formats. A little research here could probably determine the SKU coding on the sticker. I know there's a list of toys I was price sticker SKUs that correlate with dates. The target sticker has placed over a worn first sticker. Why would a sticker get worn in a department store with that much damage? And yet it doesn't show significant elsewhere on the card. The target sticker is a bit transparent and uneven in thickness, which leads to suspect that it's missing some backing and it has been peeled and torn away. And, and those are all perfect points. So then uh, Brian Angel came on, who's an admin, and said, Hi everyone, the admin team has decided to lock the thread, please temporarily ban the seller. He's disclosed to us privately the complete information. Everybody the admin board likes Seth and is acting in good faith and the best for our members. To his credit, he's expressed remorse for the entire situation and attempt relapse in judgment. We're not looking to make more than, of this than it is. Get the pitchforks out, if you know what I mean. Unfortunate timing for this to be happening on UEA. Hope everyone's having a great day otherwise. So yes, we can all make mistakes, but I mean, to the best of my knowledge, we're recording now on the 15th or 16th of January, and I've still not seen a satisfactory explanation of what's happened here. Uh, so yes, we can all make mistakes, and if, if Seth has made a genuine mistake here, I don't think mistake is actually the right word, I would say ever in judgment, then it would be best if he had just posted, posted out there and said, yep, this is what I've done, how it's got past CES is beyond me as well, and you know, he, he truly regrets the situation. Now I think it's important that that's got out there, because I think people have been taking things for granted a lot recently with price stickers, because it hasn't really been on the forefront of people's minds. So, Andy, I'll come to you first. There was a time when price stickers covering damage was actually common practice. Now, I'm not going to say it was acceptable because I don't think anybody's ever went, yes, that's acceptable covering a price sticker. But obviously, you know, in the past, people have used uh, marker pens to touch up cards. You know, back when mint on cards were, you know, 30, 40 pounds, people didn't really care that much. Um, price stickers were used to cover when stickers have been peeled off. When do you remember this changing and somebody actually going, you know what, I don't like this, I'm uncomfortable with it? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rich. I mean, my collecting goes back to, what, mid-1990s, and there were a lot of practices that went on then that really would be very heavily frowned upon now. Uh, this business with the price stickers to cover up damage, uh, as you say, people using uh, marker to cover up damage on cards or on boxed vehicles and things opening carded figures to get a rare figure in mint condition. Again, not particularly things that you'd condone, but a lot of it went on. And I think it was because these things were so plentiful in the 90s and certainly compared to today, so cheap. You know, there the, the were enough to go round. I 
don't know exactly when this changed. It's it's obviously been um, something that's happened over time rather than in any particular time period. But I would say probably around about the early to mid 2000s, 2005, 2006, probably as values were coming up and more collectors entering the market, uh, that uh, people realised actually these things should be preserved, protected um, and looked after. And these sort of practices are not acceptable in the hobby. And uh, certainly, as we're seeing with this particular example, quite rightly, uh, anything that uh, does crop up on the boards or on the forums or on Facebook should be you know, named and shamed. Not good to see this at all in this day and age. Spoons, price stickers. Now, there's a lot of debate on price stickers, and I've seen a lot of people who actually say they love them, the great bit of history. A lot of people hate those orange toys or those price stickers. Now, originally when I bought my card figures, I was always looking for ones without price stickers, and they've seen some horrendous ones. Uh, and even not just price stickers, also stickers applied by Kenner, or, or Kenner stickers that have been applied by um, shops that have been slapped over characters' faces and things like that, and I've got a, I've got a really badly positioned Toys R Us sticker, as a, a Toys R Us sticker on one of my cards. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on them? What, what are the pros and cons of price stickers? I don't have strong feelings on them. So, in my card collection, I've, I've got a good mix. I like price stickers. They, they're a bit of history, um, particularly on foreign carded items a nice japanese price sticker is is brilliant it's very unusual um but i would say i don't like those big orange toys r us stickers either they're just they're just too big and and take the eye away from the card but i wouldn't remove them now i've never tried to remove price stickers from any of my cards if i come come with the price sticker i keep it but what i really hate is where someone's tried to take the sticker off and if not doesn't necessarily rip the card doesn't rip, rip the litho but it, it leaves that kind of sticky residue. Uh, that sounds well dodgy, doesn't it? Kind of a half sticker, a bit a bit like in this case, which just looks terrible. If you if you don't know how to remove them, don't try. Now I've learned to my cost not with price stickers, but with marker pen. So some of the uh, some of the cards, the shops would, they would just write the price on, and I had one of those, and it looked fairly easy to remove with goo gone or something. I tried to do that, ended up taking a bit of the litho off as well. Look rubbish, ruined ruined a card in my eyes, and actually sort of felt sick over it. And um, so, you know, I've never never tried again. That was a couple of years ago now. So I say leave them on. They're a bit of history. They add character. Um, I do appreciate that if they've stuck the sticker over the character's face or something, it can detract. Leave that one for someone else and buy something else. Uh, that's what I say. Now, Pete, I don't want to turn this into yet another Bash the Grading company. Uh, I like I like Castle, I like some of the guys in Castle, I like what they're doing. But ultimately, the question has to be asked, how can a grading company miss this? Because <laughs> they're human, Rich. I, I, to be fair, before we even mentioned this story, I, I, I had no kind of thought that anyone would try it on. And just put it on to cover up damage it just never occurred to me. You know, now I'm going to check all my price ticket items, see if if someone's been a bit devious. But then again, all my stuff's low grade, so it doesn't really matter. Um, I, I just think it's one of the things, Rich. Maybe they just didn't know. But um, I mean, how if it's a very good thing, if if they managed to get a sticker or a roll of stickers, or I don't know how, and print on a new, you know, using an old-fashioned gun and making a new one, it's probably pretty much impossible to really kind of detect it, isn't it? I can understand why devious people would uh 
would try this and uh, I can understand how people would miss it because it just never occurred to me that, that that's that I never appreciated. But just going back to what Spoons was saying there, I mean, if you look, listen to the interview last month uh, where we were going through Graham Marshall's collection, I mean, and laughing at the price stickers. I mean, they're, they're just genius bits of history. I mean, some of the prices, I mean, like I said, every price now is boring. Prices back then were genius. You know, £1.23, £1.36, you know, um, two pound 98 <laughs> you know just utterly ridiculous uh or probably trying to outdo the shop down the road you know oh they're selling theirs at one pound 23 we're gonna sell ours at one pound 22 i still i still wish that someone could find me a star wars figure price tag with a half p on it uh you know because that's what we used to have isn't it 44 and a half p or something but yeah rich i i really think it's quite an easy miss to answer the question I mean, do, do, do they even detect? Is it even on their list of things to, to detect? It just, it just wouldn't occur to some people. I'm assuming. I don't know. Is it is it on a on a checklist? Do you know if it's on a checklist? Don't know, Pete. But obviously, you pay these guys money to check an item carefully, and obviously they're going to focus on the bubble for these seals. They're going to focus on touch up on the card box. And surely when they're checking for touch-ups, they can see something that's obvious. I know CES have really focused on turnaround because there were a lot of complaints that they were just taking too long. Uh, and they promised a really quick turnaround now. But perhaps, you know, they need to rethink that just a little bit. Just take a little bit more care. And, you know, I don't think people are going to complain if they've got to wait an extra week or two to get a better quality service. thing is, though, I mean, you know, if you think of what, what the variations could be, you know, I mean... To see like two stickers from the same shop, you know, and different generations is obviously a spot. But at the same time, when I saw someone mention that, thinking, well, what happens if that that box of Star Wars figures are put in a put in a in a warehouse? Then then a year later, let's say like 1987, they were well, let's try and let's try and flog the rest of this stuff out there, and they'd gone to a smaller store or somewhere, and they, and they they'd have reappeared. I mean, you just don't know the stories. I mean, price stickers because they're not they're not something you're really gonna study too much you know there's not a guide out there to price stickers is there or anyone's got expertise in in price stickers i mean it could just be some bloke with a with a price gun who's put it on because he bought a load of stock and shoved on the shelf so i i think it's one of those things really hard to kind of to find out i mean if if let's say grading companies have left it alone just go you know what i'm not even touching this i think it's virtually impossible isn't it to actually get that right well, when you look at it, man, you can't tell that the something not right. You can, you can see, and I think I think James Gallo had made a post in there that clearly described what had gone wrong. Obviously, James has been involved with Star Wars collecting for a lot of years, and he's seen all of these price sticker cover damage and that in the past, so he knows the stuff. He knows what he's talking about, and you would hope that the grading companies had people like him, you know, looking at these. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I guess a lot of the the grade. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, because I probably am. But uh, I would imagine lots of grading, uh, Star Wars grading, is is uh, doesn't have price stickers because a lot of these things, you know, you're going to grade it if it's really mint and doesn't have a price sticker on it. So I don't know how, what the percentage of cards that have price stickers on. I have no idea, but uh, I don't know. Is, do you reckon there's more or less? Oh no, I think that, I think that's a good point. That's not something I considered. Yeah, I think as, I mean I would never send in a. I don't send things ever green anyway, but I wouldn't send in an R5D4 with an orange Toys of Us play stick. I slapped right across <laughs> the middle of it. Oh, it's a thing of beauty there, Richard. Is that to me? To me, I know it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the uh, the Mr. Grading or anything, but I mean that to me is a thing of beauty. If it's got a big, great big. I think I've got a card, a card back. I think it's a a Royal Guard, and he's just completely covered in stickers. There's a there's the the coin offer, 
and there's a bunch of you know shop stickers and you you can't even see the image <laughs> it's just completely covered it's brilliant Lastly, Adora is one of my favourite things. Brilliant. I've sent in a few things with stickers for grading. I'm not um, I'm not a big grader. Before GW Acrylic came along, though, I don't live too far from UKG. So rather than uh, buying some loose acrylic, I'd, I'd drive down and get some stuff graded. So I've got quite a few things with price stickers graded on them. Uh, it's more, more for protection than any. But I've got some lovely like Taylor & McKenna British store graded items they look absolutely fantastic so I, I would think there is a good proportion of stickered items that are graded out there i think if you are truly a kind of clean front unpunched highest number as you can get person that likes graded you're not going to go for a, a stickered item but for people who kind of just like things that look nice um I, I suspect there's quite a lot out there i do think that grading companies though you know, if, if I was sending something to be graded, I would expect them to pick up on a replacement sticker, particularly this one where the uh, the original sticker looks so badly removed. And I don't want to bash grading companies. They all make mistakes. They are all human. It's just like any line of business, you make mistakes. You know, no, no one's perfect. But it does make me think how many, you know, this, this is good detective work that's picked this one up. How many stuff that's off the radar has has had stickers added and been graded because that custom's sort of gone out of of memory and they're now in circulation and people are just none the wiser it does kind of make a, a mockery of, of of the system a little bit but you know horses for courses yeah so i would urge everybody to head back over to rebel scum start picking up some of those threads about some unscrupulous guys and, and companies who've been covering damage up with price stickers because it's not a practice that I want to see coming back. You know, and just, just be careful with your car Just look at those price tickets really carefully. Is something really going to have a Sears? And I don't know the big American t- toy stores that well, but would it have two big companies on? Yes, yes, it might have a Sears and a discount store price tick on it. And I think, I think I've probably seen a few of them before as well, but watch it. Red flags. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Palatoy Perfection, Richard. Who is searching for Palatoy Perfection? Well, it's nice to have some positive stories after one that was slightly negative there. But Gary Smith, you know, the the true Palatoy genius. What an amazing post that he made the other day. So I put the image in text chat there just for those who may have not seen it. And he posted there, it's taken 15 years to do this. But this year... So the focus finally complete. The first 10 Empire Strike Back characters released by Palatoy on all 5 of the Palatoy Empire cards. The 30A and B, the 41, the 45A and the 45B. What a stunning image. So we're going to show this on our social media. Um, so I want all you guys to open it up there. So you'll see FX7, you'll see the Rebel Soldier, you'll see Han Hoth, Lando, the White Bespin Guard, uh, Luke with his Bespin fatigues, Leia in various poses, uh, Leia Bespin, so she's in a, she's in a, um, what's, what's the description for that? We'll just say side on, I know some people have got a little um, smutty term for that one, and Leia in the other pose as well. The Imperial Hoth Trooper, Bosk and IG-88. 
what an amazing shot now before going to it guys does anybody know about the error in the photo error in the photo there's an error in the photo Gary needs to redo the photo what's he done what he done I don't know Andy Spoons any ideas I did see um, this mentioned on one of the forums. Hasn't he got two, two thirty? <laughs> has he got two thirty A's or something? Or? You're not called spoons. Back off! Come on, yeah. anyone spoons? Yeah. Uh, I've got no idea. I'm just looking at the picture now. Second lane. I, I, I would guess a thirty A and a thirty B error as Andy non spoons was just uh, <laughs> unspoons. Just yeah. Um, has he got? Yes, I. Spot the difference, isn't it? Yeah. I oh, guys been on the right. IG88. He's got <laughs> two thirty A's. Two thirty A's. Yeah. Two thirty A's. Yep. So, the little logo. Yep. So on the top row, he's got all his thirty A's with the Paltoidit logo. On the second row, he's got all his thirty B's, which is the large, larger logo, except for the IG88, where he's got another thirty A. Now Gary does say that he has a thirty B IG88, so he's not you know, pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. He does have one, but I think he needs to redo the whole shot again. And it must have taken him ages to position those, you know, handling them with, you know, kid gloves, because yeah, 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 that's just an amazing shot. And forget about the value, you know, it's obviously that's it. you're talking a lot of money here, but just, just look at them. Absolutely stunning. One of the best posts I've seen for a long time. An amazing image. It's almost like one of those images that you see with the little kids in the toy stores from the 70s and early 80s where they're just standing there looking at that wall. An absolutely brilliant image. And imagine, imagine having so many Palatoy IG-88s that you can make that error as well. You know, that's, that's pretty special. So, uh, well done, Gary. Yeah, well done. So, Andy, I, I think I know the difference between the 45A, the 45B and the 45C, which is not part of this one, but could you just quickly, briefly run through what are all the differences in the five different Palatoy card backs that Gary's got in his image there? Yeah, sure, Rich. So, uh, first one is the 30A, so this is Gary's top row. And this was the first uh, Empire Strikes Back carded release of Palatoy. Only 10 figures released on this card, so this was the first 10 Empire figures. Basically, the card has got the Empire Strikes Back logo on the front of the card. Uh, as we've heard, it's got the small Palatoy logo, like the 20 back, uh, but uh, positioned more centrally on the card. Uh, and then on the rear, you've got a photo of the 10 new figures over the existing 20 figures. And below that, you've got an image showing the Palatoy Imperial Troop Transporter Vehicle and the Palatoy Droid Factory playset. The 30B, that one came along a little bit later. Again, the first uh, 10 Empire Strikes Back figures were on this one, along with the second set of 11 Empire Strikes Back figures, which again is interesting because those figures are not pictured on the card back. Uh, but it is the debut card for that second set of Empire figures. Uh, the difference, um, the Palatoy logo on the front of the 30B is larger than the 30A. The font that's on the ages four and over text is different. And on the back of the card, uh, if you have a look down in the bottom right hand corner in the white border uh, on the 30B, it says made in Hong Kong, which is missing from the 30A. Uh, next release was the 41A. Now, uh, that's not a debut card for any figures because, as I say, the second set of figures were released on the 30B card. But this is the first card to actually picture all 41 figures. Uh, it's got a smaller Palatoy logo again. 
And below the Panatoy logo, there's a little box with a black background, uh, which has got some of the trademark information in it. And then below the individual pictures of the figures, there are two boxes, um, two photos showing uh, play sets and vehicles. So on the left-hand side, you've got the snow speed of the Tauntaun, the turret probot, uh, and then three mini rigs. And on the right-hand side, you've got the Imperial attack base and the Darth Vader TIE fighter. 41B, uh, now again, that's not a debut card for any figure. Uh, it is a variation to the 41A. Uh, the only difference on the 41B card is that the pictures of the vehicles and play sets are different. Uh, the left-hand box shows the Imperial TIE Fighter, the X-Wing, and the Star Destroyer playset. And the right-hand box shows the Millennium Falcon, Imperial Troop Transport, and the Cloud Car. Now, one thing to note on the 41B card back, on that uh, bottom left photograph where you've got the Star Destroyer playset pictured, there's some text that says, with figures. Now, of course, uh, in the palatory release, that playset was never, ever released with figures. So you will find some card backs that have still got the text on. You'll find other card backs where that text has been scored out with a blue biro, presumably done at the factory. And then there are other versions of the 41B, again, that have got a small blue sticker that's placed over that with figures text. The third variation in the 41 backs, the 41C, now that's where that particular error was corrected. So the 41C, identical to the 41B, but they've removed that text with figures from the Star Destroyer playset. Uh, otherwise, as I say, that's identical. So moving on to the 45 backs, the 45A, now again, this was a debut card back um, for six uh, Empire Strikes Back figures. The card back is quite distinctive. Uh, you've got the same Pelotoy logo as on the 41 back, so the small logo with the black trademark box underneath. But above that, there's a big blue circle with a special offer uh, that says, Become a Star Wars Bounty Hunter. See back for details. So that's making the 45A very, very distinctive. Uh, on the back of the card, you've got the 45 figures that were available, a big, bold, special offer uh, logo. And the offers that you get on this card back were Dengar, uh, the Survival Kit, and the Darth Vader Collector Case. The last Palatoy card variation uh, for the Empire Strikes Back logo was the 45B. And that card variation... Uh, um, has the Empire Strikes Back logo, but it's actually missing any Palatoy logo. So it's the first card that doesn't feature a Palatoy logo on the front of the card. The special offer that was uh, there from the 45A, that's also gone. Uh, on the back of the card, you've still got the special offers, but the text is now in white rather than yellow. And the main special offer header, that's in a much thinner font. And that about sums it up. Uh, I should give a shout out to Jason Smith and his excellent site, Mr. Palatoy. Uh, to find Jason's site, all you need to do is put Mr. Palatoy to Google. He's got a fantastic rundown of all the Palatoy cardbacks, all the figure variations that are available on each site. So uh, that was invaluable in putting that little information together. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, and the 45B is super desirable, as you said there, because of the cleat front. And uh, my Palatoy 45B R5D4 is one of my favourites in the collection. Uh, Pete, okay then, so, I mean, obviously Gary's been putting these together over 15 years, he's been weeding and dealing, he's uh, been in the, the London undergrounds trying to, you know, acquire scores and deals and, you know, G Gary's been collecting for a long time, but if anybody wants to start collecting some of these now, I mean, what we're talking about, do you want to pick a figure <laughs> and start having a look at some of the prizes if they appear on Dragon? <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was going through the figures and they just weren't, you couldn't get a comprehensive list. There's always, you know, it's, it's usually 30A and 30B sort of appear and then the rest of them kind of disappear into the ether. But Bosk wasn't doing too badly for a Palatoy ESB 30A. Um, and I've done the last five years. Well, no, actually, I've done longer than that. I'm lying. I've done every year that he's been going, which is almost five, six, almost six years ish. Um, and there was there was one ESB thirty A, which was th- well, just under four thousand pounds. Wow. Then there was another list. Uh, I thought you said there. it wasn't doing too bad. Four grand. No, no. I mean, as in in numbers, you know, actually having oh, someone represented. <laughs> um, so then the power to ESB is it a forty one B as well? Is mm-hmm. that one of them? Uh, uh, that was actually quite cheap, £122. So, ooh, 41B, 1, 000, over £1,500. Um, again, pretty cheap for a 45B, £136. But things like Princess Leia, Bespin, you know, 30, 30 A and B seem to be in the th- over the thousands. So, you know, you times all those up. I mean, you're, talk, you're talking, I mean, you could probably go, I mean, how many, what was, what was it? 50 figures, isn't it? So, 50. Oh, crikey. I mean, enough to pay your mortgage <laughs> off, isn't it? Yeah, somewhere probably the eighty grand mark, probably more. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because there's quite a few in those early ones that are at the multiple thousands. I know some of the cheap, but I mean, these days, I mean, some of these stats are going back. I mean, I'm just want to look, just want a quick look at the dates of these figures. How long ago was that? So t- 2017, that was four thousand pounds. Well, recently the, the the thousands. So yeah, so these days you would be paying probably in the thousand marks per figure, average. So yeah, good luck there, chaps. <laughs> <laughs> so it's worth a fair fortune. I would suggest you don't, unless you're rich, and not Richard, but rich, you know, wealthy rich. Yeah, and and rich is definitely not wealthy rich. Andy, so if somebody's interested in putting some of these together, I mean. How easy are they to acquire? Are some of them easier than others? You know, if somebody had to pick one of them, what, what would be your advice? I would say don't bother. I think I don't think anyone else can and will do this. I think this is going to be a unique run. Some of these are one, only one unknown. Um, I, lo- I looked back into various threads, and this has been all kinds of palatoy discussions over the year about rarities, not specifically the first 10 that appeared on the the 30 backs, but in general, those and those are different discussions and kind of views change a little bit. I think they sort of go in, uh, um, in waves. Some, one will be more common one year and another, another year, but in general, Gary's view is that the 30 backs are the easiest to find. Now it doesn't go into A's and B's, but I know from, from just, I don't, I don't collect the rest of them, but you know, as you know, I collect my hand hoths. I've been looking for a carded 30B for over 10 years. And, and actually, one's an, an open one's just popped up on, on Lulu Baru. I think that's what it's called, the French, um, French website where they've got the, the, um, the French show ones with a number written on it. But it, it, it's a bit tatty. It's been, been open. But it's a, a, I've just not seen another one, not even seen a card back. So it's it's a really really rare item, but in general, the 30 backs are the rarer ones. I'd assume the 30 Bs are generally rarer um, than the 30 As, but I'm almost certain that there's a couple where the 30 As are rarer. But so that, that's you might yeah put yourself if you want to put a run together, put some 30 backs together, you can do it. The 41 backs, uh, some of them are common, 
some some not so you know there's a there's a fair mix of those the 45 a's are where it gets gets really tough the i think rich i don't know the story of a couple of um of gary's didn't you find his leah bespin at, uh, at a shop in newcastle is that right I found his Luke Bespin, and I think uh-huh. it was a 45B, which uh-huh. was the only one known to exist at the time. There was a card back or two card backs were already known, but that was the first and only one, and I don't know if a second one surfaced. Okay, because I, and I remember when he got his 45A Hanhoff, I've never seen another carded one of those. He says it's one of only one known, and I remember he got that, I think, from Brian's toys over in America. So were were some of these um, kind of more of them sent to America for some reason? I just, I just don't know. It was graded, but I think it had a relatively low grade. It's when Palosoy wasn't quite as popular as it is now. And I know he got it for a, a decent price. I remember, and I, actually some of these, you know, he, he did all right at the time because I, mean, I remember bidding against him on his 30B Hanhoth on, on eBay and, and he won, won that battle. I think Gary normally wins those battles. But so... For the 45As, Hanhoff and Leia Bespin, his ones are the only ones he knows of. And 45B, Leia Hoff, he reckons is the only only one of that. So maybe another Luke Bespin's been found. And again, Han Solo Hoff used to be, I think there was two or three known, but it's a Facebook post a couple of years ago where someone had three or four of them. So I don't know where they got them from, but they're really low numbers. So you could put together a run that would be almost complete, but actually finishing it off would would be very difficult. Um, going going back to the 30s, the most common are Hanhoth, Rebel Soldier, Lando, Luke Bespin, Leia Bespin. But as as Pete was just saying, still you know still fairly pricey. The Hoth Trooper is a little bit harder, but um, sorry, it's, it's is relatively common but harder than those those 30s I just mentioned. And the tough, and this is why it was crazy with Gary's mistake, the tough ones are Bespin Guard, FX7, Bosk, and IG88. So IG88 is tough to find as a 30 back, and Gary could make a mistake where he puts two of his 30As up. Maybe that's why they're tough to find, because Gary's got them all. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's a really tough run run to do. And and I, and I, and I was just thinking about which... Which is my favourite card back? I, I agree. I think the, the, actually the ones without the Palatoy logo look so so clean and nice. I love that that Bounty Hunter offer. We don't have many offer cards, do we, in the UK? So that's that's quite a novelty. But can you beat a nice clean card back with a big fat Palatoy logo at the bottom? Um, what, what a lovely run! Yeah, love that one. Forty-five um, eight or five D four. I've never seen. Uh, I can't remember if Gary, I think Gary might have one. He, I know that there's a couple of R5D4s that we're both after, and Gary's going to get them first, which is fine. I'll get the second ones. But, <laughs> yeah, great one, Gary. Well done. I can't think of anybody more deserving. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, Rich, I just want to add on that, uh, um, just very briefly on, on Gary. He really is, it highlights how how skillful a collector actually is, that that you're constantly watching some really, or, or finding and, and knowing how to find and doing your research and understanding, you know, the fact you say that he, he knows there's only one or two in existence, it just goes to show what, you know, when when someone's really on it, <laughs> you know, I think in my collecting, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's, I, I really like that, and I'll save it for it, and I'll buy it. I don't have any particularly rare I'm after. But when you're, you're after things, there's only one or two on the planet. I mean, that takes some time and knowledge and 
patience and expertise, isn't it? I mean, it really goes to show how how top end collecting is, and uh, and it's great that we kind of have Gary in that kind of uh, environment that we can tap into if we need to. It is it is absolutely amazing, really, what what he's he's put together there. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range: fifteen minutes. C-3PO in all its glory. What? Is he naked, Richard? Well, I looked at this one, right? And you're going to... Initially, I thought, well, why would you want to talk about this? So, it's Christopher de Jonk. Or is it de Jonky? Don't know how that's pronounced. It was on one of the Facebook groups, and it was a picture of a removable limbs C-3PO. It was actually on the Imperial Commissary, the IC group. And he posted there, I got my first removable limbs 3 po today, thanks to J.D. Mill. So what's the proper way to display him? I figure if I stand him up, you can't tell he's removable. And then I realised that in my bat cases, I have multiple versions of Luke, Leia, Han, Lando that can I produced, but I've only got one Chewbacca. So I think Chewie carrying feels right. Did I put him on correctly? And then I look back at the image again and I thought, oh, I like, I like what he's done here. So do you know these backdrops that some of the American collectors have got where it looks like the coloured bit behind the bubble with the nameplate above and they, they put the loose figures behind the colours. So he's got R2-D2 sensor scope there with the with the red background, he's got R2 there. And then he's got the green for the C-3PO removal limbs, but he's actually positioned it with Chewbacca who's facing um, 90 degrees to the, to the left. And you can see Chewbacca's got the net with the removal limbs 3PO actually in the net. And I thought, that's a brilliant question. What is the correct way to display the removal limbs C-3PO? Now, obviously, it isn't a correct way. There's no one correct way to display this. But I thought, you know, never never considered before. Um, I'm interested to see how you display yours. Mine's just in a GW acrylic with the net, I think, positioned behind C-3PO. So you won't be able to see it, or maybe I've got it in front of the legs. Great idea. So, guys, what's your thoughts on it? Is it even something you've even considered before? Never even crossed my mind of a different way to display 3PO removable limbs. Mine's on a um, little disc, you know, the stand, and he's got his um, bag is still in a baggie, so I've got that tucked under his arm, so that, that differentiates him from my other one. But he's, I'm sure it's a slightly bigger sculpt. He's, he, he looks thicker than the 12-back 3PO. But I think it's a great idea to um, have one displayed on Chewbacca's back. I, 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 that's, you know, kind of an action scene. I think it's it's a good idea. But, yeah, it's not really something I've given much thought to before now. No, likewise. I mean, it, it's a great question. Not really something I've, I've thought about. Uh, I haven't got my uh, blue set on display at the moment. But uh, another thought, if you've got your removable limb C-3PO, if you think to that scene at the end of The Empire Strikes Back, where they're on the Millennium Falcon and R2-D2 is fixing up C-3PO. He's sat there and he's got one of his legs off, hasn't he? So perhaps that's a way to display him. If you have him on one of those circular bases, stand him up just on one leg and have the other leg on the floor without uh, without being attached uh, with, the, uh, with the net. And there he is, the uh, Millennium Falcon version of C-3PO. That's a, a possible option. Good luck with that, that Andrew. That reminds, that, he, he ain't standing up with one leg. He got a really, really like tough, tough, unbroken kind of you know leg that has never been moved by a child. Because mine is like in the bag. He's shoved in the bag and he just sits there on the floor. Uh, with his head popping. Because I used to put him on Chewbacca's back, 
But one, because I'd played with the net so much, it's kind of a little bit ripped. And two, Chewbacca falls over with the slightest kind of, uh, you know, even, even on a stand, he, he doesn't last with that. He just unbalances him. So he stays on the floor with me. But yes, I have considered it, Rich. It was a big consideration. I sat there for maybe two to three weeks in complete silence, meditating over how to do it. And in the end, I shoved all his bits in a bag, in his bag, and left on the floor. Can I just add in a, a public safety warning with Ooh. your displaying of your removable limbs, C-3PO? This, this happened to me a few years ago. He's quite, you know, compared to the rest of the figures, he's quite brittle, isn't he? He's made of a slightly different plastic. And I'd had one, just one foot on the peg of a stand for many years and went to take him off for whatever reason. And a bit of his foot broke away from, from where the peg had gone in. It kind of weakened that area. Um, I ended up buying a new one and he's and putting him back on a peg and I've never <laughs> attempted to take him off for fear that that same thing may happen. So just didn't, a note of, note of caution to everyone out there. You didn't need to buy a whole one. You need to replace the leg, Andy. What have you been doing? Well, actually, <laughs> that's not true, Pete, because I did try and just replace the leg. And I don't and I don't know about factories and different mold types and and whatever the different coups. But I, I think you have to get you have to match a coup, that's for sure. But if it's just one leg without any coup on it, how do you know? So I did. I tried a few limbs and they were different, didn't fit in or different lengths going back a few years now. Didn't, it was very tricky. It was easier just to buy a new one. Didn't, didn't Dave Tree have a bunch of limbs recently? I can't, was it, who was it farthest from? Which had a loads and loads of 3PO limbs hanging around. I'm sure it was Dave Tree. It had something going on with limbs, but... Um, it's actually a figure I've, I, I actually do love dearly because it was so much fun playing with that one as a kid. Because you know you could blow an arm off, you know, you could, having been a bit of a hero, someone someone take an arm off or a wampa take an arm off him, and he'd survive. It's brilliant. He's just one of the best, as one of the most genius figures I think in the uh, in the range because you could just pull bits off him. I was always a bit ashamed his head didn't come off, mm-hmm. you know, because that would have been made it even better. I always remember that I had the removable limb C3PO and a friend of mine. Um, had the solid one, and I'd never seen the solid one before, and I always wanted his. But I, I think, in hindsight, I had the better one. Did you pull his limbs off and just say, oh, sorry, I didn't realise, just to annoy him? <laughs> never thought of that. In fact, I was convinced it was it was the uh, desktop droid at first, and I was going, what, what's going on here? What have you done? Because I'd just never seen a solid limb so How sad. Even after collecting all this time, you've still got people coming up with new and exciting ways. That's what keeps the hobby fresh. And, uh, you know, even if you just sit there and contemplate for 30 seconds, it was worth discussing it. Nice one. Rebel Base, one minute and closing. And before we move on, absolutely delighted to see that our favourite podcast co-host friend from the past, Jez Allenson, is bringing back his running storm costume. So I've asked Jez to come on to record something when he's got a bit more information he's absolutely delighted to have been asked so hopefully we can get that sorted out before he goes back out on tour of duty We've got our full support and you're going to raise lots of money again to keep lots of children smiley and happy so nice stuff jez great to see you back out and running and training and so andy you've been keeping a close eye on this for us so uh, what is it that jez has already announced yeah he says he's going to do a thousand miles during 2020 
uh, in the Stormtrooper costume. He says there's going to be some big runs and one mega run. I don't know what he means by that. Uh, he's being supported by Pinewood Studios and Lucasfilm again. And he's seeking to raise £50,000 this year to add to what he's raised before. So uh, good on you, Jez. Look forward to hearing more about that. And uh, yeah, uh, all the very best of luck and uh, hope you smash that total, mate. I'm delighted to welcome both Justin Haney and Jen Thunders to the Vintage Rebellion. Both are Star Wars Collect, well, I would say Star Wars Collecting team from Georgia, um, who I had the pleasure to meet very recently at the annual in New York. So, welcome to both Justin and Jen. Hey, Rich, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing fine. Did you have a good Christmas, guys? Such a good Christmas. Yeah, how was yours? I've been um, I've been a bit ill over Christmas. I, I got stuck down with a bad virus, so I did what all silly guys do and went and celebrated by drinking far too much. So I've uh, I should have just stayed in bed. Cheers to that. <laughs> but um, hopefully I'll be recovered by the time New Year comes around. There you go. So the reason why I've asked you two to come on because I mean I met you for the first time at the annual and, and I can't believe that we're having bumped into each other at you know celebrations because I've been to Orlando and Chicago and um, I don't I, have you been over to one of the European ones at all. No, not yet, unfortunately. No, no but hopefully you can change that, that at some point in the future. For sure. Both of you absolutely brimming in positivity in the hobby, and, and not in an over-the-top kind of way. I, there's quite a few times I go on Facebook and I see things that are just, you know, just everything's just super awesome, and, and, and you, but you guys are bring it down to earth, and you, you are so real in your passion, and that's one of the things that I want to talk about mainly today. So what I want to start off with is, can we go right back, first of all, to your childhood, Justin, if I've got it right, are you more the Star Wars collector, whereas Jen's more a Star Wars fan? Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's pretty correct, pretty accurate. Right, so if we go back first of all to Star Wars collecting and toys in general. So so Justin, what were your earliest Star Wars memories? What were your toy memories? Where did you get items from? Um, Were you one of the guys who, you know, managed to get a card figure every week or was it more on special occasions? I was born in 83, obviously, when Return came out. So a lot of my toys from my childhood were hand-me-downs from my sister's friends. Uh, my sisters are both quite a bit older, uh, 9 and 11, years older than myself. So that's where I really started to get toys and started to play with them as a child. And then collecting-wise, I was kind of born into it from my family. Both my mother and father collect things, not Star Wars. but So when I was getting drug out to garage sales and antique shops and, and that type of thing, I just kind of gravitated towards finishing and, and completing my Star Wars collection at a very young age. So it was kind of when it, whenever uh, they would take us out, you know, I'd pick up an item here or there, kind of whatever I could do around the house to scrounge up some money uh, to be able to pick up kind of what was a, whatever was available. 
So by the time you started to get your own pocket money, had they disappeared from toy stores by then, or would you still find the occasional item? The occasional thing at KB Toys, you know, kind of in that, that clearance bin where the tri logos and whatnot were all mingled together. Very rare, though. We had some some discount toy liquidator stores uh, that you could find a thing or two. But for the most part, by the time I was getting my own own money to, to spend, it, it had mostly mostly dried up. Now, Jen, a question for you. Now, when I was a kid, there was never such a thing as Star Wars was for boys. It just didn't seem to work that way. Other than when we went to the toy stores and we had, I don't know if it was the same in the US, but in the UK, there were very distinct aisles. They, that is the one for the boys and that was the one for the girls. And it was a decision that was more or less, as far as I can tell, made by Palatoy to say that this is a boys thing. I certainly had a lot of girlfriends, younger, who were quite happy playing with Star Wars and an action man and all that kind of stuff. And it didn't seem to phase them much at all. So I was surprised that when I started to become an adult, I heard a lot more about it being marketed towards males. I just didn't pick up on it at all. So what was it like being a, a young Star Wars girl fan? I mean, I think the toy companies really did market it towards boys because we had the same, I mean, the same aisles. Like one you go down and it's totally pink. There's nothing but Barbies and My Little Pony. And then the other aisle, yeah, had all the like, you know, the action figures and Star Wars toys and stuff. So I think like I definitely, and even when I was younger, I don't really remember that many of my girlfriends even being Star Wars fans because I think it was just so much marketed towards boys but yeah then like the older you get you find out like oh like you know everyone like so many women have loved Star Wars their whole life so it but I did yeah I think it was definitely the toy companies just like oh this is an action figure it has a weapon this is a boy's toy as opposed to like which now it's not I don't think it's like that at all I think they definitely are marketing Star Wars toys for girls and boys which is awesome Absolutely. I mean, I've got a boy and a girl, and I'd see my girl is far more into Star Wars now than what my son is. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, he'll happily play on his PlayStation 4, but she will, you know, actually go and buy a T-shirt with, you know, Rare and Kylo Ren. She's really... In fact, her her summary of The Rise of Skywalker was perfect. That was a one-word summary. I couldn't believe it. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. So... Obviously, both of you, then, you weren't around when the initial movies were in the the theatres at the time. So, was your first experience on Star Wars when it was on video cassette, or did you actually go and see any of the releases, or the re-releases, I should say? For me, yeah, it was, um, I guess, HBO at the time, or seeing them on videotape, VHS. I wasn't, you know, around when the special editions came out and got to go see all those in in the theatre. But, but yeah, I never had that original theatrical release uh for me yeah the same thing was for me my um my dad had he recorded them off of i think it was hbo just all on one vhs tape and he like cut out the credits so i remember when i was really young i didn't know which movie was with like which part was in which movie because it was just one huge star wars (laughs) to me so that was like when i was like older i was like wait that wasn't return i thought that was an empire like just you know, figuring out which movie actually, because I, yeah, he cut off like the beginning and the end credits. So it was just one huge movie. So yeah, I miss, yeah, I didn't see any of the originals in theaters. And it uh, uh, might be an unpopular opinion, but I honestly don't think it matters. I saw definitely Empire and I definitely saw Jedi in the movie theater, but my memories of them are absolutely next to nothing. It was the hand-me-down cassette tapes that were, you know, just passed around the family. That, that's what I remember as a kid, and I couldn't care what version they were. Uh, I just knew that they weren't, obviously, the special editions. Right. 
a lot a lot of my friends have said, oh, but was it the 16mm third version of the soundtrack? <laughs> I couldn't care. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it was Star Wars and it, it always will be. Obviously, in the UK, we had, you know, some some big things. You know, we had we had Star Wars and we had Action Man and one or other two toy lines. But did you have other toy lines and other things that you would focus on when you were young? Or was it just Star Wars? I mean, I'm guessing that you were probably moving towards Turtles and things by that age. Yeah, I mean, as far as collecting-wise, I mean, it, it's been Star Wars since day one, and, it, and it's never really changed course. As a child, I mean, I played with other toy lines, Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, He-Man, G.I. Joe. But as far as a collector, it's been Star Wars since day one, and it, and it just hasn't stopped. And, like, Jen, when things like Power Force 2 and The Phantom Menace came out, did you really push on in your in your fandom then or were you still quite you know kind of is this perhaps a boys thing or not now that i went on a break from star wars i've always loved star wars but i wasn't there was definitely a time period when i wasn't so into it i'm a little younger so i was born in the late 80s so like at the time when um the prequels all were coming out i was so concerned about like what was going on in like my junior high and like you know, so I didn't really get into him as much. My cousin was super, super into him. And we went and saw a Phantom Menace with him in theaters. And, like, I enjoyed it. But I was just, like, at the time, like, it didn't feel like Star Wars to me. I just wasn't super into it. And it wasn't until I got into high school that I really went back and rewatched all the prequels. And, like, that kind of, like, ignited my love for Star Wars again. And, Jen, do you, or did you do any kind of cosplaying or, or, or role, role or character play or anything at all? Um, I was, I've always loved Halloween, mm -hmm. so I always got really into dressing up for Halloween, and I never, actually it's funny now that I think about it, I never was Leia or, or anyone from Star Wars for Halloween, probably because like, I've always just loved Leia in the metal bikini because I thought she just looked awesome and she rocked that costume, even though like Carrie said she hated it. Mm -hmm. Um, and my parents were probably like, absolutely not, you're not wearing that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I didn't start cosplaying until or cosplaying Star Wars, actually, until I met Justin. And we started doing more Star Wars events and celebration. And now, like, I cosplay Leia all the time. So, Justin, you would have been at the perfect time, and imagine, when you had that big downloading, that trailer um, from the Apple uh, QuickTime store back when The Phantom Menace was ready to release. I don't know if you remember that, or were you around about college time then? The, is that the trailer that took forever to download? Uh, it took, took me three it's days. Back in the, yeah, yeah, I, I was... I, I lived it. <laughs> right, absolutely. The, the size of a postage stamp when I actually got it working. Right. What were your feelings of the prequels? I mean, yeah, you know, we all had different hopes and dreams of what the prequels were going to be. And, and personally, I love them, and I still do. I love the prequels. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I, I still love them. I had my best friend through high school, and, and we're obviously still very good friends today. You know, he was kind of the person that I shared the Star Wars passion with, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, we loved it. We ate it up. We we bought all the toys. We bought the card games. We, I mean, we just completely immersed ourselves in the prequels when they came out. And and yeah, I still, you know, they still have a special place uh, in my heart today. So, at what point then did you start recollecting things? And you, you know what, I want to get back and you know either improve my childhood collection or add to it and, and start become. I think it's wrong to see a serious collector because yeah, I don't think any of us are serious, but I think you get my point on that. Yeah, you know, I fell victim like many to the, the Power of the Force 2 and, and buying up all that kind of stuff new on the store shelves. And, and I was trying to buy vintage here and there, but 
end of high school, going through college, you know, I kind of took a break, um, started my career. I think like a lot of people, you know, did focused on that for a while. And, and it was probably 2008, 2009 when I really jumped back in heavy and, and it was, you know, getting away from just the, the toy show once a year or buying things off eBay. That's when I really started to focus heavily on, you know, procuring a collection that I liked and that I wanted and that I wanted to display and, and things of that nature. So yeah, 2009, 2010, probably sometime in there. And, and and what were the toy shows and conventions like around that time? Because that's quite a quiet period for me as well around about those years. Yeah, Atlanta, um, we have one one very large sci-fi convention that's been going over 30 years. It's called Dragon Con. And, oh, and that's yeah, where I I've first that. yeah. Yeah, that's where I first started collecting. You know, every every year there'd be two or three toy dealers and you'd kind of save up all the money you could all year and, and you were kind of at their mercy. Whatever they had is, you know, what what you could pick up. Um, we have another toy show called Toy Lana that started up uh, that it, this year is actually its 20th anniversary. And it's just packed full of, of toy dealers, obviously. So so that was kind of it. You know, you just, you know, t- 20, 30 dealers and, and they're not all necessarily Star Wars. So it's it was kind of tough. You know, you just you, you just picked up whatever you could here or there. At some point you were heading over to celebrations. And, and I think Jen said before that he's met. Did you meet together at some kind of con or something like that? We met here in Atlanta through the bar that I own, and we kind of didn't realize we both had such a love for Star Wars and and cosplay and conventions, and, and it was kind of Dragon Con that brought us together, hanging out there. And and which was your first celebration that you decided to go to? It was Orlando Celebration Six? Mm-hmm. I believe that was 2012. I think 2012. Was it that long ago? Yeah, and that, and that, uh, I mean, that just opened up a whole new world of collecting, you know, to see that much stuff in one place and, yeah. and to experience the, the panels and, and just room sales. You know, we were lucky enough, our very first one, we were uh, invited to room sales or, you know, told about room sales, where to find them. So that just opened up a whole new world. Now, both of you guys have really enjoyed the social aspect of Star Wars, um, and you, you've got heavily involved in the in the collecting community now. So can you tell us about the Georgia Collecting Alliance? How was that set up, and, and, and what was the impetus behind that? Yeah, absolutely. So it was Celebration, the last Orlando in 2017, and, and that took uh, myself, Glenn Williams, and Shane Kelly being in Orlando to really get to know one another and, and hang out for the first time. And and we were sitting there probably late night at the hotel bar and said, you know what, we need to bring this back with us to Georgia. I mean, we all live less than an hour from each other. We wanted to bring that that camaraderie and, and, and that same, you know, just wonder of celebration back back here with us to Georgia. And we did. So so that was in April of 2017. May, we had our very first meetup. And I believe we've had a meetup every month since then. It's been a real positive force for myself in the collecting community. I think it shows the the good side of collecting and, and togetherness in the hobby and helping each other out. This past year, uh, we really ha- have have taken on a lot. We we've attended various conventions, Toy Lana, the ICCC in Nashville. We've hosted two two very large meetups, the Summer Social. And then the winter social we had just this past December and people flew in from all over the country to attend and uh, looking towards 2020, we are going to have a table in Anaheim for our club. So, so 
the Georgia Alliance has really just turned things around for me collecting wise. It's shown, you know, it's more of like a family than, um, you know, some of these various just buy, sell, trade groups. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, you couldn't have said that any better. I don't know how the annual worked for you and how, how you got involved in that. But from my point of view, we were kind of like invited as a, if you just want to come, you can come over. And myself and the other guys thought about it. And, you know, we just couldn't justify the cost. It, it's quite expensive. And I think Chicago hadn't been that far away. Um, and obviously we'd all been to Chicago. But then uh, I was just checking me, me, me school, because I'm a school teacher. So as, as long as it works in the holidays, I've always said I try and make things. And then I checked flights and I contacted Ron and I was just, yep, I'm in now. And going to the annual, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I knew I was probably the only person coming from the UK, possibly the only one coming from Europe. I knew Brian Angel, I knew Ron, and I knew maybe a handful of others. So I had that nervous trepidation of walking in thinking, am I just going to be solidly for those you know, three days and shake hands in the boat and everybody go the separate ways. But it was the complete opposite for me. So what were you going into the annual at New York? What were you expecting? And, you know, can you summarize the annual up for us? And we'll start off with Jen on that one. Well, it for me, it's a little, I think, yeah, I totally understand, like, having the trepidations. Like, cause I, I mean, love Star Wars so much, but I don't necessarily collect. I know a lot about the, you know, the items and collecting because I'm, around it basically all the time and I love it but I just don't so I was really nervous like I'm going all we're going all the way you know up to New York and I I don't collect like I'm I'm gonna be bored like no one's gonna talk to me this is I'm gonna be like they're gonna be like why is this girl here but it, it wasn't like that at all everyone welcomed me with open arms and we got to meet so many amazing people that now like we're very close with at that trip and it was just, it was the one of the most positive fun trips that I've ever taken. Um, I loved it. And Justin, one of my highlights, apart from listening to, you know, when they had the rotation panel of everybody who introduced the annual, um, I thought that was brilliant. And you had, you know, Tom Quinn and Jason Thomas and, and Lauren Michelle. And you had, I thought that was absolutely fascinating. I loved that. But my next biggest enjoyment from that annual was when I was sitting in the lobby and it was either yourself or Narayan had said, got a space in the car, do you fancy coming out? And... That, that that road trip, or several road trips, was absolutely brilliant. That's what I got most out of the annual. Yeah, wasn't that a great time going to... Well, well, I guess Pete put on the little excursion to go to that large swap, the flea market. And then, yeah, we kind of got to talking and said, well, let's go by John Paul's place. And then from there, you know, got to visit, visit some other collections. Just an amazing time that we kind of just piecemealed together, you know, wherever and whatever we could go see and do. And... And, I mean, we just saw some amazing stuff that day. Oh, it certainly did. And you got more out of that than me because you knew more about some of the other timelines that I didn't. Um, certainly when we were in Pete's house, you described, you know, these unproduced figures from something. I, had, I, I didn't have a clue what they were, but you seemed to know all about them. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was just a whirlwind there, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, there was just so much to look at and see. So, yeah, really fortunate that we were able to do that Um that event in New York, I think I took away a lot from it. I think that the panel you spoke of where they all just described kind of how the Empire State Club was formed and how it has grown. It really taught me and Narayan, who, who, who made the trip, uh, who's another admin of our Georgia club. It, it just really taught us a lot about, you know, the humble beginnings of a club and, and the harder you work, the, the bigger you can make it and the better and, and grow in the family and, 
and uh, yeah, it was just an amazing trip. And, and we all came back from that just ready to hit the ground running with our club and make it the best that we can. Well, I was going to ask that next. So did you did you take your experience from the annual and hearing what the other guys had to say and use that when you did your first Georgia meetups? Absolutely, yeah. So, so, so the Georgia Club, it's it's comprised of there's four admins and then four moderators. And other admins are Narayan, uh, Jason Kane, and Glenn Williams. And we had an extraordinary talk after that. Obviously, Narayan and myself are the only two that could make the trip, but but we got on the phone with Glenn and Jason, and you know we really really wanted to start setting things up in a grander scale. I mean, those guys. Um, the hospitality they showed us, the, the welcomeness, it, it was just outstanding. And I know how much hard work they put into it. And I think one of the biggest things that I, I took away from that was during um, David Quinn's podcast about the, the formation of the Empire State Club. Thomas Quinn said, we tried to make every event something that you must attend. Um, I guess I'm paraphrasing there, mm-hmm. but but that really stuck with me. You know, if, if we're going to go to the effort, let's really go above and beyond and make it something that you just can't miss. And, and I think that's the biggest thing I took is, is let's, you know, it's tough for people to get away from their families, their work, you know, they have their own social lives, but, but if we're going to try and get the group together, let's make it the best, best thing we can. Uh, absolutely. And I think it was Chris really had said that he had taken a small break from collecting um, because he wanted to fund the annual or at least part funded. And he said that that was his biggest enjoyment of, t- of 2019, you know, rather than going to buy another store display or another carded item. And that really hit home with me. I thought, you know, spot on that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think one thing the club's shown me is this having this, the local collectors club, it's 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 not always even about the toys. It's about collecting experiences and collecting friendships. You just put people in the right place to, to have a good time and enjoy each other's company. And I mean, I think that's the most rewarding thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and you both enjoyed uh, after hours scenes. I think, uh, Jen, there was a video during the rounds of you trying to um, teach Brian Angel some moves, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to teach Brian Angel how to dance like Michael Jackson. Yes. <laughs> I wonder if he's recovered yet. <laughs> probably got some deep heat in his uh, in his hips. <laughs> right. Yeah, probably some. <laughs> okay, so we'll just have a look at some of the some of the items in your collection then, um, Justin. So I must admit, when I when I saw the photographs of your collection, I thought, you know, you've done a lot in a small space, and I really like the way that you've got your collection presented, and it's really well lit, and. I looked at Remember Woman at Ron's collection, and, and Ron doesn't have a lot of room, but he fits a hell of a lot in there. And I think you've done pretty much the same with the way that you've set yours out. So I really like the way you've done that. But one of the things that struck me first is, and look, when I look at your collection, it seems to focus a lot on the earlier items. Now, was that intentional, or, or have you just decided to go for, to get as many of the early pieces that you can first before you move on? Yeah, I, you know... It's tough when collecting, and I try to look at it as curating. You know, what's something that I think is going to look well on display? And, um, yeah, just the earlier stuff has always struck me. Maybe it's just that Star Wars logo on the 12 backs or, you know, the early bird certificate, how striking that piece is. I, I always try to, to to at least collect with, you know, a reason behind the piece or, or why I want it or make sure I can display it. Uh, if I'm going to purchase it. So, so yeah, I think that early stuff just really hits home. Yeah. And and Jen, you, you, you said that a lot of this is more like 
uh, Justin's themed area. But what in there is it? What you like? You know, what what what's your passion in that area? I mean, I just love you know when he gets in like the hunting mode, like <laughs> you know when he's on the prowl for a, a, an item and he sees it and he's you know talking to whoever's selling it and you know going back and forth and that whole thing is like re- actually really fun and I get to see how much he loves it. So I basically like I just I don't know it makes him so happy and it's also exciting. So that's like what I love. So I'll definitely remember like pieces in the collection because I'm like oh yeah this is when we were at Anaheim and you know he got it there or whatever. Like I I don't know I, that's what I really enjoy about it and they look great displayed so I can just always go down there and look at you know all the all the Star Wars characters. Gus Lopez said similar once um, because I think somebody asked him a question. Why would you invite Gus Lopez to come and see your collection? Because he's going to go, got it, got it, got it, got it. And Gus turned around and said, I don't care if I've got everything that you've got. I want to hear the story about how you got it. And that that really struck with me as well because I thought that was really interesting. But I'm just I'm having a flick through this and I've never seen this before. And you're probably going to tell us it's really common. But you've got what I'm going to say, the Venus de Milo Lear. Yeah, so uh, the statue, that is a really special piece to us and you know collecting Han and Leia items that came after Carrie passed away in in the auction that was put on mm-hmm. she from my understanding she had 50 of these commissioned they're about 12 to 13 inches tall on a marble base and she would give them out um i guess she had them commissioned in the in the 80s and she would give them out as gifts to friends and family birthdays christmases things of that nature and we were fortunate enough to pick that specific piece up as it had adorned her desk since she had wow. been made. So, so yeah, it, it, we got it in auction. It was something that I, I saw and, and just kind of knew, knew I, I had to have it. So um, that, that's a very, very special piece in our collection. It takes uh, center stage in, in the collection room. Yeah. I mean, others might look at that shot that you've sent us in. We'll share these on social media if you're happy. Um, and you've got three revenge proof cards and you've got a three pack but it's it's that statue that draws the eye, you know, because it's fantastic. I love that. Thank you so much. And you, you've said there you've got like a Han and Leia focus, but I, I see Emperor a lot as well. So are those what would you see the three main focuses that you're running with? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, and Han, Han and Leia is kind of the first love, and that's kind of how Jen and I got together. You know, we we knew our our love of Star Wars, and then. Most people think I'm the Han guy and she's the Leia, but it's actually quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I focus on you know getting all the Leia stuff and 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 uh, and she loves her Han very much. It, Emperor kind of came about a, a few years back at um, I believe it was Celebration Anaheim. Uh, Jen saw spotted a piece. It was a, a modern pre-production Emperor piece uh, that she just loved. It was all in black. So we picked that up and that's kind of spawned the Emperor side focus. And, and it's kind of fun with all the Han and Leia stuff. Collecting Emperor, now you can add a bad guy to the mix and collect some of the dark side stuff. Well, I certainly know of one couple in the UK who got married as Han and Leia. Was there any kind of Star Wars themes at your wedding? We went back and forth on this so much because we <laughs> like very easily could have done full on Star Wars theme wedding. But as much as you know, we both love Star Wars, we're just big fan girls and boys of so many things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, but we can't just do Star Wars because we love this and this and this and this. So our wedding definitely had a lot of touches from Star Wars and, you know, various other things that we love. But yeah, we had Justin's groom's cake. Our regular, our, we got married right before Halloween and I love Halloween and horror movies. So it's kind of, you know, themed that way. So like our regular wedding cake was kind of gothic. 
looking, but the groom's cake, um, Justin had it completely mimic the cake and the birthday poster. So with all the little, the figures and everything, like exactly like the poster, that was his groom's cake. So there was like little touches like that, that was definitely, you know, there were lightsabers at our wedding. There was something on the, one of the guest tables that said, I love you, I know. So we definitely had Star Wars touches throughout our wedding, for sure. Uh, I'm a huge horror fan, so I, I would love to go go to a wedding where people are dressed up as Freddie and Jason. And, uh, That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever thinks to do it, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I'm looking at your pre-production em- Emperor items here, and I-, I love these well. I mean, I haven't seen hot, hot, hardly any of this before. So what's your, is it just whatever you like you require, or you're actively hunting modern pre-production items now? Being, you know, taking the break off uh, from collecting from, you know, around 2000 to around 2010, let's say 10 years, you know, kind of missed that vintage pre-production market when things were fairly obtainable and you don't have to, you know, mortgage your house or sell a car to pick up a new item. So that, that modern stuff, it's just a lot of fun. You can, you can actively hunt it. You can actively add to your collection. So with, with the Emperor slash, you know, Palpatine, we kind of anything that pops up that, that we don't have, we will go after. And, and, and it's just a lot of fun to put together. You can accumulate quite a few pieces relatively easily, I should say. Speaking of fun, you've also got a lot of Kenna products in your showcase as well. Now, with Kenna, is it a case of anything that's Kenna, or do you specifically look for things that were available in a certain time period? Um, I guess with all collecting, it's kind of whatever is available that you can get your hands on. But but something I, I've been trying to focus towards are Kenner employee gifts, like the mugs, and then, mm-hmm. you know, they got, they received, you know, a piece of jewelry or something for every, like, five, 10, 15 years they worked with the company. I think that stuff is, is very special to me, a little more unique. So that that's kind of where the focus is going these days. But I think that must be incredibly tough to track down because, correct me if I'm wrong, but is, is that documented well? Because I couldn't tell you what somebody would get for a five or 10 or 15 year, uh, year gift. It's it's not documented that well. I, I think that's just another part of our amazing hobby. You know, you, you, you talk to people and, and if, if I feel like if you show passion in something, people are more than willing to explain, to, to share photos, things of that nature. So if they show that you, you've got a yearning to learn, uh, most people are willing to help out. And that's kind of where I've been just talking to some of the old school guys that have been doing this a long, long time. And, and you know, they help me out down the road. And, and, and that's kind of where, where we're going forward is just, just trying to learn and, and get help when I can. Now, just before the episode that we've just released, which actually hasn't been released yet, I talked about your video very, very briefly, Justin, um, because I, I mean, I must have watched it four or five times. I thought it was fantastic. I know she and Kelly released a video as well. Now, Jen brought it up in the introduction that it's possibly one of the best times to be a Star Wars fan right now, and I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, the Mandalorian's just come to a conclusion, and I was just absolutely gobsmacked at how well done that show was. And... I think for me the difference between the Mandalorian and the in the movies is with the Mandalorian I care about every single one of those characters, even IG eleven. You know, he was as a character that I actually bonded with and I think they've done done it so well. But it doesn't matter if you only like comics or if you only like novels or if you only like, you know, video games or whatever. There are so many different branches to go down now. So what's what's your thoughts of the current hobby now and and that might include collecting, it might not? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with Jen. I mean, and it's an amazing time. The, the video games, the TV series. I mean, there's the, obviously the movie uh, Rise of Skywalker just coming out. It's, I think it's a fantastic time to be a collector or to get into collecting. I mean, there 
we, we see it a lot with our, our local club. Uh, you know, we get new members almost every day and, and you just, you really get to see the broad spectrum of what people are into or what they collect. And I know for a fact, we've had two or three members join recently that have never collected before, but the Mandalorian struck them so hard. They want to get into it. They want vintage Boba Fett's. They want, you know, vintage IG 88 figures because it looks like IG 11. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's just a fantastic time to, to be, be involved in whatever capacity that might be for you. And it, and it's so great because I feel like, I mean, at least for me, I didn't have that many, like when I was younger, I didn't like know that many kids that were into Star Wars. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's a girl boy thing. I had, you know, my little girlfriends just weren't into it. I'm not sure. So I, it was just kind of a thing that like I liked and like, you know, my fam, my parents were kind of into until I got to high school and then met a group of friends that I'm still friends with that were really into Star Wars. But now it's like, every, you know, I'm at work and these people aren't even into Star Wars, but the day after Rise of Skywalker premiered, the next day, everyone's like, how, how, tell, how was the movie? Did you like it? Like, was it great? Like, everyone knows who Rey is. Everyone knows, you know, everyone's talking about Leia. Like, it's just awesome that everywhere you go, it's so accepted and loved. And even people that aren't into it, they still think it's cool. And that's one of my favorite things now. Yeah. And you have TV shows. You have, I mean, I'm obsessed with T-shirts. So I don't think I could ever possibly like have there's no shortage of star wars t-shirts like it's just a great time it's so available yeah did you see i think it was a gus lopez did that a different star wars t-shirt every day for a year oh wow oh, that's i don't amazing yeah somebody did it somebody did it on instagram yeah so you've, you've you've talked about there about how things are positive and things but obviously there's a lot of negative parts in the hobby now for me i think a lot of it stems down to facebook and collectors um, now, I could be completely wrong, but I've had to unfollow so many groups because they just don't share my positivity. And I, and I love what your guys are doing with the Georgia players. And, I, and the Empire Star Wars Collectors Club is another great Facebook group as well. And I just I don't know why it's heading towards the way it is. So, so what's your thoughts on the, on the current state of collecting and collectors? Yeah, I guess I really feel, and I think I might have said this in my video, I really feel that collector clubs are kind of the future of collecting as far as Facebook is concerned, mm -hmm. obviously you're going to need some buy, sell trade type groups. I mean, product does have to move around somehow, but, but I feel like there is a lot of negativity that, that comes from Facebook. And I agree with you. I had to unfollow quite a few things myself. I think it's just social media in general, not just how collectors act, but it's how it's kind of the nature of social media. People want to show off. They want, they want people to think they're doing all these grand, glorious, fun, wonderful things, you know, social media personalities and, and things of that nature. I, I think that is, is probably the, the big issue with Facebook as collectors are concerned. Um, it's pretty tough. It's almost like everyone's competing. So that's really in, in 2017 when we started the club, I, I was having quite a few issues with Facebook in, in general, personally, just not having as much fun as I had you know, for, for the few years prior. And, uh, when we started the local, local group, uh, everything changed. I just focused all my attention on that and, and helping the club grow and helping out the collectors in our club. And, and you're right. The empire club is very much the same way and they've been doing it quite a bit longer than we have, but you just see a lot of positivity there, which is, I think is great. So the very first time then you had collectors coming down to your place for one of these meetups, uh, how, how do you feel about that? I think there's definitely a, a bit of nervousness. We kind of, we, we try to host half of our, our, our monthly meetups in a collector's home and then the other half we do in a public 
place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll do it at my bar. We've done it at other various locations. And, and that's kind of how we vet people as far as, you know, once you come to a couple of those meetups, then you get invited to a member's home. But it definitely can be nerve wracking up until it happens. And, and then the day of, I mean, it's just a blast. You fill your home with 20, 30 people who share the passion and, and you're telling stories and and you're, you know, educating people on things they've never seen before. I would urge anyone out there, if you're not part of a local collector club, join one. If there isn't one in your area, start one. We're very accepting in Georgia. We have members from, from all over the U.S. and a lot of members from Alabama and the Carolinas that don't have local clubs. It can be quite nerve-wracking to invite people into your home, but it's 1,000% uh, worth it. And I, I certainly think going forward, I mean, we, we've heard many times that, you know, will there be a Star Wars celebration next year or will there be one? Is, is a time Star Wars celebration to start wrapping up now because it's becoming a different thing? But I think with what you guys are doing and with what the ICC is doing, there's always going to be something big that everybody can go to and everybody can feel warmly invited to. So I think it's fantastic what you, what you guys are doing now. I appreciate that, Richard. Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing was I wanted to just, you know, kind of get the stuff about the club out and the positivity stuff that we, but I mean, we touched on that quite a bit, I think, so. Well, I was going to ask him, um, so what are the plans for for the club this year and, and, and are both you guys going to be at, is a celebration Anaheim? Yeah, I've, I've got my tickets, but I haven't got my flights and that sorted yet. Yeah, we were fortunate enough, tickets went really fast this year, but we, we got a hotel room, uh, we got tickets, and and. For our club, we're actually going to do a, a fan table with, with other collector clubs. So that'll be the first time we're doing that at a celebration. You know, a little nervous, but but I think it's going to be great. We, we've got an amazing swag set coming from our our self-appointed swag king, Narayan. He's got something <laughs> cooking that's, uh, that's going to be really nice. And uh, we're part of some of the other uh, club group sets. So we're really excited about that for, for Anaheim this year. And then as far as the club... You know, we really focused last year on our two major events, and most of that stems from the annual to seeing how well those guys put that thing on. And we're not quite to their scale yet, but we host our summer social in July, and uh, Narayan hosted at his home. And then our winter social, which we're just getting off the heels of, that's in December. And, you know, we had a, a former Kenner employee out in December to, to my home, and he's really eager to keep keep participating in club events, which I just, we never saw that. We, three years ago, we could have never imagined the club would be here. So, so right now, I think our big focus is yeah, our, our, our summer social celebration Anaheim, and then the winter social in December. So, what's your guys' thoughts on swag? Because I know a lot of collectors really do not like it, whereas others are quite keen on it. I mean, I think it's great. I think as long as people treat it as what it is and are willing to trade it or give it away, you know, you see people trying to sell stuff on eBay or. Oh, you know, I don't like what you've got, so I'm not going to trade what I have kind of mm -hmm. mentality. I think yeah. as long as people are, are, are keeping true to the spirit of it, mm -hmm. I think it's an amazing thing. It's something fun to do at celebrations. Uh, we've kind of implemented it into our routine at other events like Toyland and ICCC. We've made swag for those. And, and of course, we just give it away. I think as long as people just treat it the way it should be, I think it's fantastic. A lot of people spend a lot of money to go to these events, especially like celebration. It's a nice way to come home with some souvenirs and not have to you know, spend an arm and a leg. Yeah. And Jen, have you got any cosplay ideas uh, coming up for celebration? I do, actually. I, well, I Usually I have um, a couple of different Leia costumes that I do that I love that I will continue to do. But I also, I guess it's coming from just being a horror fan. Like I always do tend to like the bad guys in any movie. Mm -hmm. So like I've always been kind of obsessed with the Emperor. And now after like, especially with Rise of Skywalker coming out and him tying back in with that, 
I really want to do like a female emperor um, costume. So kind of kind of got that in my mind working. So see if I can get it together before next August. But uh, I think that'd be really fun to do. Wow. So um, it's not that long now, actually. I know I keep saying I've got to book flights, but what's eight months now to celebration? It's a little bit scary, actually, when I think about it as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many thanks for coming on the Vintage Rebellion, guys. Um, and I urge anybody at all who is in the Georgia area or in a surrounding state to contact you guys. There's a Facebook group. Justin, if somebody wanted to join the Facebook group to check it out, uh, what was it that would type in the Facebook? Yeah, it's G-A-S-W-C, Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors. You can find us on Facebook. Yep, so dip your toes in the water, join in, see what it's all about. If you're a bit nervous about going up to one of these meetups, then it's entirely understandable. I mean, we've all been there. We've all been to our first meetups. We've all felt the nerves. But, I mean, you guys put each other at ease very, very quickly. Very, very welcoming um, couple. And I certainly know that my life is far better knowing the pay reviews. So I'm really looking forward to hanging out in, in Anaheim, um, relaxing over a beer or two. And long may it continue. Absolutely, Richard. Absolutely. Bully to knowledge make people sweeter? Yeah. Yes. Probably. Well, if, if it made people sweeter, it could be a, a love lolly, a, a sweetness lolly, and a laughter lolly. But all lollies make people feel happy when the day's hot. I just love lollies. I think you would get sweeter because my girlfriend, Stacey, she got sweeter when she ate a lolly. I feel much, much sweeter now license to thrill lines made comes up quite a lot and there's a few little links to what we've talked about the last couple of months as well so we thought well let's just do it lines made there's not a ton of stuff but uh, there's a great history and uh, let's just cover that history now so you're going to hear my voice for the next five or ten minutes and then back to the boys in the last part of the 19th century entrepreneurs Isidore and Montague Gluckstein Barnett Salmon and Joseph Lyons formed J. Lyons & Co. It became one of the largest catering and food manufacturing companies in the world. Lyons first started to make ice cream in 1894 using the turbine bowl method. When refrigeration was further developed after the First World War, production increased and automation helped to bring the product to a wider market. Unlike America, ice cream in Britain was a seasonal phenomenon with fluctuating sales depending on the weather pattern. With use of frozen carbon dioxide, Lions were able to ship their ice cream from the Cadby Hall factory by train to most parts of the UK, setting up cold stores at several railheads. Ice cream production in most of the Allied countries was banned during the Second World War, but when restrictions were lifted, new methods of production were introduced. There was still an acute shortage of many foodstuffs right up until 1954, which had a detrimental effect on the product, particularly its taste. And that is something my mom used to tell me about when I was a kid. You're so lucky to have these beautiful tasting ice creams. Due to this, new handheld products were introduced, such as the frozen ice lolly. Right, now let's talk lollies, because as I've said in the past, I do like an ice lolly. And um, I think my favourite... Oh, well, let's, uh, let's, before I get to mine, let's, uh, I reckon Mr Preston likes a lolly. Give us a couple of thoughts about your favourite lollies as a kid and or were you allowed them? Because I know that, that some families didn't like it, their kids having ice lollies. Yeah, we had lollies from time to time. So uh, obviously the Star Wars ones uh, I enjoyed. But the other ones that I remember uh, would be the, the Zoom and the Fab lollies, uh, which I think were shaped like rockets. Was that right? Oh, well, yes. So you, you still love those bit of a sci-fi connection. <laughs> and then 
The other one, funnily enough, was Funny Feet, oh. which was a bonkers lolly. If you if you think about it, it's a big pink lolly shaped like somebody's bare foot, shoved on a stick, and I think it's strawberry flavoured. Probably should be cheese, really, shouldn't it? If it's Funny Feet, but uh, yeah, I used to enjoy those, so that's the ones that I remember. See, I had the Funny Feet, and I was sick apparently because I asked my mom about this the other day. I said, look. Because think about ice lollies, and she goes, "Oh, you were terrible." I was terrible about it. Ice cream, I'm awful at ice cream. I just didn't do it. Must be something to do with it. But yeah, apparently I had one funny feet, and I threw up, and that was it. No more funny feet for me because it was seen as a waste of money. Now, Richard, you probably didn't have ice lollies because uh, you were in the frozen north, and you probably had I don't know brick and soil in your in your cones. You would have never predicted this if I had given you a thousand pens and a thousand <laughs> pieces of papers and asked you to write down every story you could possibly think of. Right, so. He has a story. Although I must admit, I was more of an ice cream person than an ice lolly. Right? Oh so oh our local corner shop, he was quite entrepreneurial, I think is the way to put it. And he sold homemade ice lollies. And what? Yep. So he had a freezing tray, but the, the it, it was like an ice cube tray, but they were deep. Okay, so for making ice lollies in. And he would obviously make his own ice lollies and he would stick a, a wooden... Um, <laughs> whatever, stick in, a paddle, and they were 2p each. I remember doing some gardening one day, I was probably six, seven year old, my mother coming down with two ice lollies, one for me and my sister, and we were absolutely delighted, not not knowing there were 2p each at the time. And maybe two weeks later, I remember my mother coming back down from the shop, and we were saying, well, where's my lollies, where's my lollies? She says, you're not getting them. She says, why not? Well, the three pence each now. <laughs> Just for the sake of one penny, <laughs> one penny, <laughs> That's a and huge inflation, Richard. Well, it's 50%. It was a 50% yeah. increase. But exactly. she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't buy. She wouldn't pay them. She didn't think they were worth 3p, <laughs> but she was happy paying 2p. Well, actually, probably happy is not the right word either. I thought, so. I mean, whilst looking through all this stuff, I was looking at these amazing lollies. I think, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Then I looked to, to check the prices out, the ones that had prices on. And, you know, some of them were quite expensive for what they were. And I know full well my mum and dad would not be paying like 10p for a lolly. At that, that age, it'll be, you know, one or two P. That's why I had those ice pops all the time, because it's like, that's just extravagant. It's got things on it. So, you know, it's incredible Hulk lollies I would have killed for. Come on, spoons. you got the name spoons. You must have been spooning ice cream into your gob all the time. Similar to you, Pete, we were well, slightly tight parents, I think. Um, <laughs> we had chock ices in the freezer or ice pops so when the ice cream van came round and all the kids ran out to buy an ice cream we go oh, can we have one as well mum would just get us a chock ice from the freezer and say have one of these and it just just wasn't the same yeah um, exactly. so so when and i don't remember buying them from corner shops particularly i don't remember the star wars ones actually but i do remember the rare times we did have them from the ice cream van i remember and it's a bit ironic seeing that we would normally got given a chock ice remember when feast came out oh, which is feast. essentially a chock oh. ice on a stick but, but it had chocolate in the middle as well and that was yeah. just that was just amazing that blew our minds those were the best because i detest chock ice because it's vanilla vanilla ice cream and i feel conned that it's not a big chocolate bar so the same with you those feasts when those feasts came out but again too extravagant uh, and only later in life i had a feast or two because they were you know, it, i mean <laughs> You can't beat that. They they may be the top of my tree of of uh, non fruity lollies. And are, and are they still around? Because Magnum oh, seems yes. to be the yes. seems seems to have sort of taken over that chock ice oh, stick mantle. Oh, it, feast it? is still around, big time. Good, that's good. I mean, I also remember Funny Feet. They weren't weren't my favourite, but you know they were funny. 
and foot shaped. It's kind of they were they were good. I, one of my favourites that was actually quite a boring one, and may, maybe I was just brainwashed with what was in our freezer because it was just the simple cider ice lolly. Oh. And they were always maybe it was one of the cheapest, um, but because it was called cider. You kind of imagined it was a bit naughty, a bit alcoholic, maybe. Uh, they were just genuinely very refreshing, but not very exciting. But what was very exciting and a real treat, we weren't often allowed this because it had bubble gum in it. We, we, we didn't have a lot of bubble gum when we were there. I don't know why mum didn't want it. I, th- I do know why, because I put because I read too much Beano and put some behind my ear once and she had to cut it out of my hair later. So I think I think it was banned from the house. Do you remember the two ball screwball? Yes, yes, because I actually, I actually ate the bubble gum once and that was it to me. So that was that was just something that was like from another planet because we weren't allowed it. We'd occasionally have it if no one was looking. But a little cup of ice cream with two with two balls of bubble gum at the bottom. That was that was brilliant. Um, I have now got some new favourite lollies from that time because I, I like well, what was around then. So I did a bit of googling. And have you ever heard of the Space 1999 lolly? No, but I would have killed for that also because that was one of my favourite shows as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, or the bionic lolly, six million dollar man lolly called the bionic lolly. That's all it said on the wrapper. There was Absolutely a Star brilliant. Trek one as well. There was a Star I, Trek one. There was all the big kind of franchise. I didn't realise they ever existed. Like, I would have never been allowed them because they're too extravagant. But you talk about the the side lolly. See, that's the only time we really got away with it because my dad was a cider nut. He loved his cider. So he's like, ooh, cider lollies. Ooh. And, of course, he knew they weren't alcoholic because it's made of ice, so there'll be alcoholic in there. And uh, so he, he used to get away with it by buying us all a cider lolly so he could have one, thinking it was actually an alcoholic lolly. <laughs> but more fool him, it was just an apple lolly, really. But it was very nice. But anyway, guys, great memories there. I think that was... Oh, ice lollies are always good. I still enjoy them now. Even as a boring old man, I still love a fruity lolly. And a feast. Yeah, you can still get feasts. They are. They've done different variations and versions of them, and and you can you can you can get a variety of flavors, chocolate and minty chocolate and all sorts. They are absolutely amazing. Lions Made is instantly recognisable from its brand logo, sometimes known as the Good Time sign, but more generally referred to in-house as the Dancing Children. By the end of the 1960s, the Lions ice cream business was disappointing, with their market share of hard ice cream having fallen to 37%. In 1971, it was decided to create a new fun food image. Larger cartons of ice cream displayed cheerful pictures of figures and scenes drawn in children's storybook style. Advertising agency Young and Rubicam developed the logo to identify the brand in sweet shops and later on packaging and on ice cream vans, but was eventually phased in across the whole product range where it continued to be used on branding and shop signage until Lions Made was sold to Nestle in 1992. The Good Time sign design was thought to have been born from a logo which had first appeared on Horny Man vans in 1936 and the Lions Made design was probably based on this. The Horny Man tea business was acquired by Lions in 1918. Nestle combined its standard international blue and white ice cream logo with the Lions Made logo type and the three dancing children from the Good Time sign until 1998 when the Lions Made brand was dropped in favour of a standardised Nestle ice cream logo. Aside from owning such famous brands as the Baskin Robbins Ice Cream Company and the Dunkin' Donuts organisation, they also developed the Wimpy Hamburger chain. Oddly enough, it wasn't just foodstuffs they got involved in. They also built and operated the world's first business computer, which they called Leo, L-E-O, Lions Electronic Office. Here's a little history from the Science Museum about that very computer. 
1950. If you fancy a cup of tea or a slice of cake, then here's a good place. A lion's tea shop. It looks like it's from another era. And so it is. The future. You see, behind the quaint exterior, Lyons is building a new breed of worker. It all starts when they hear that mathematicians in Cambridge, England are creating an electronic brain. Could such a thing crunch numbers for a catering empire? Lyons cut a deal. They'll help fund the research in return for a working model. Three years later, Leo is born. This is state-of-the-art 1950s IT small enough to fit on a single floor of Lyon's head office. Its mercury-based memory can be a touch mercurial, but when it's firing, it holds a full two kilobytes of information. Or about a side of A4. Okay, not much processing power by 21st century standards, but in 1951, it's more than you'll find inside any other business in the world. And enough to seriously power up the process of selling tea and cakes. Every morning, tea shop manageresses across the country ring head office with their orders for cakes, scones and sandwiches. They are fed into Leo, who converts them into binary, digests the information and spits out the orders to be delivered to the tea shops. But the genius of Leo is that it's not fussy about its input. It can process just about anything, from tea blends to payroll. Calculating a payslip used to take eight minutes. Now it takes 1.5 seconds. For management, it's a revolution. No need to rely on gut instinct when they've got up-to-the-minute analysis from Leo. Bigger firms start to take notice and buy time on Leo to do their own computations. Kodak, Ford, even the top-secret nuclear weapons program, Blue Streak. But Lions are thinking ahead. If everyone wants their computer, why not sell computers? They set up Leo Computers Limited to build more advanced machines, until a British catering firm is poised to become the world's first IT giant. Of course, that's not quite how it turns out. Leo can process any kind of business, but businesses can't process the idea of buying computers from Lions. In the end, the Americans catch up and overtake, and it's IBM who take over the world market in business computers. Leo Computers is swallowed up into other companies, its pioneering days behind it. Of course, its legacy remains. The information age, now part of office life. Let's go to the products. Now, there's, there's, we can kind of sum up, there's not a great deal. And thankfully, on the podcast tonight, we do have Andy... P, um, who is a bit of a, I didn't realise you were such a massive uh, Lions Made um, enthusiast, Andy. But I think we can pretty much sum it up into two flavoured lollies, one for Star Wars and one for Empire Strikes Back, with a variety of bits and pieces, uh, wrappers and all sorts, and we'll, we'll cover it. So let's get into Star Wars. So this was released in February 1978 by Lions Made, and it was a chocolate iced lolly with chocolate flavour coating tipped with starry white sugar balls. And it was 10p. Richard would not. I'd have to get a mortgage out for that. 10p. Shocking. But just to visualise it, it was kind of like a, a sort of long, thin, kind of squarish lolly with the top half uh, with those little, little, little starry balls on it. So it's quite extravagant. I've never had any recollection of this at all. Um, so we had 
Uh, now we've covered these quite a few times, and we've never read them all out before. But there was there were six character lolly wrappers, and there were four paper mask premiums given away by the seller themselves. But there were, well, it doesn't just end there, does it? Andy, can you fill us in on the rest of the range of stuff for the Star Wars? um ice lollies yeah so the the lollies themselves um so you as you say you had a range of six character wrappers front of the wrapper uh, you've got that lovely um, image of the dogfight between the x-wing and the tie fighter tie fighter firing its red lasers again at the x-wing red lasers star- again red, red lasers again <sighs> star wars logo and then top left you've got lion's made bottom left uh you've got the description chocolate ice lolly with chocolate uh, flavor it's a it's got a little bit um, discoloured, this this one I'm referring to. Chocolate-flavoured coating and sugar balls. So that's the front. On the rear, uh, you've got three red packets and three yellow packets. The three red ones, you've got the Stormtrooper, you've got C-3PO, you've got Chewbacca, and then the three yellow ones, you've got R2-D2, Darth Vader, and the Tusken Raider, and a little bit of text about each one. So those are the lollies themselves. You could also, when you went into your newsagent or your ice cream vendor and you bought your lolly, you could claim a free paper mask. Now, these came uh, in a square sheet of paper and the mask itself could be punched out. So there's a little um, surround that would usually be discarded. And then the mask, there are four to collect. There's the Stormtrooper, there's C-3PO, there's Darth Vader and there's Chewbacca. Each of these masks has got, again, little punch out eye holes to see through. Uh, wouldn't be a lot of good otherwise. Then on the sides, where roughly where the ears would be, there's some little holes. And uh, you, the, the idea is that you put your elastic through. So uh, again, just referring to um, the Stormtrooper mask that I've got here, it says on the side, how to attach your mask. Separate the mask from the surround, push out the eye holes, fold as indicated and attach elastic bands, brackets or string, close brackets and loop over ears. So there you go. That's the that's the masks. You say paper masks. I mean, I'm assuming you've not got used ones because they wouldn't have lasted five minutes of their paper. Uh, I've got one that's still got the surround. That's the Stormtrooper. And then I've got three um, that have got the surround missing. So, yeah, might have been used. My word. I mean, I mean, but, I mean, how thin are they? Are they pretty, pretty thin paper? Is it decent yeah. stock? Yeah, they're, they're they're pretty thin and flimsy actually. Um, probably a little bit better than the standard sort of A4 um, sheets that you use in your printer at home, but uh, um, certainly not cardboard by any means. They're def- definitely paper rather than card. Um, so not designed to last, designed to be used and thrown away, I guess. Well, I think we should read out all the descriptions in turn because the descriptions are just brilliant. We have done a few of them in the past, but let's just have a, an actual record of all of them. C3PO is a tall robot with a gleaming metallic surface. His human-like appearance is often matched with his human-like behaviour. Chewbacca, the hundred-year-old giant Wookiee, co-pilots the Millennium Falcon. The huge anthropoid has a quasi-monkey face with large blue eyes that soften his awesome appearance. Personifies the evil of the Galactic Empire, the awesome malevolent figure dressed in flowing black robes keeps his face forever masked by a grotesque breath scream. Sounds... R2-D2, a sophisticated computer repair and information retrieval robot, can only speak to another robot in a series of electronic sounds. His thick, clawed legs carry the feisty, rebellious automaton into a series of dangerous encounters. Stormtrooper. The drones of the Galactic Empire who carry out a reign of terror among the disheartened worlds of the galaxy. Hidden underneath white armoured spacesuits, these fearsome troops enforce the restrictive laws with callous disregard 
for human rights. Tuscan Raider. Sand people, as they are sometimes called, wear abundant clothing to protect themselves from Tatooine's twin sons. These large, strong creatures pursue a nomadic existence in some of Tatooine's most desolate regions. I just think those those are just brilliant. I mean, I mean, like you think, you think these days you get a description. I, I talked about that Ewok book, and there's descriptions in there, and they're so boring. There's nothing that that gives you the image of what they're actually describing. It's just it's all too graphic these days. But I mean, what was what was I laughing? I'm laughing. When Richard read up the awesome malevolent figure dressed in flowing black robes, grotesque breath screen. I mean, that's that's terrifying. For, for especially an ice lolly. Just out of interest, Andy, you you collect the Lions Made wrappers, don't you? Yeah, I certainly do. So what what sort of prices do you pay? Because I mean, I, I had a quick look to see if I could find any, and I could not find any on eBay whatsoever. So no, they, it must be they, pretty hard to get hold of. They do not come up very often at all, no. Um, even average condition, you're probably looking £30, £40 pounds a piece. Really? You, you can see why there weren't, <laughs> weren't many around. I mean, I mean, these things were eaten and thrown. I would never have thought about keeping a wrapper. It goes back to the crisp packet discussion we had earlier, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. as you say, who keeps these? Uh, I think the majority were either stuck in scrapbooks. There's quite a few that you'll find that have got little um, glue residue on the back, um, oh. or uh, strange children who just decided to keep them. Um, sadly, I didn't. But <laughs> I've had to pay a lot of money to build up a little collection since. Because we talked about that with, with Craig when he came on to talk about electricity. You know, scrapbooks are a, you know a, you know mining scrapbooks, mining landfills. You know, these these are places going to find this stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, if you find a scrapbook with kids stuff in, you you will probably find a few of these wrappers lying around. I mean, it's brilliant. We've covered the dolly wrappers. Now there were there were other things. Now when I looked at the SWCA, it wasn't comprehensive because uh, sometimes some of the British stuff doesn't really kind of um, get talked about as much. I mean, we don't really hear about lines made wrappers and and promotional stuff so there were there is actually other stuff out there andy so give us a little bit of a rundown if you will that's right pete yeah there were three different types of promotional materials for these um so probably the hardest to find is the quad poster which would have been displayed presumably in uh, cinema foyers seen this being I, I don't know whether it was specific to the uk odeon chain but uh, i have seen that written somewhere this is a quad poster same size as the regular quads you've got a big yellow star wars logo in the top right hand corner top left hand corner is the lion's made logo with the three dancing kids uh, this is on a black starfield background uh, bottom right you've got the x-wing v tie fighter jewel the same uh, graphic that's on the front of the lollies and then bottom left you've got an image of the lolly itself so uh, the, the lolly on the stick out of its packaging so you can see the chocolate and the, the white balls on the top and it says free mask uh, and there's information about how you can claim your free masks. So presumably these quad posters would have been put up in the cinemas, just the same as they put up the posters to advertise the film, hoping to sell ice cream in the intervals. Very, very hard to come by. I don't think I've ever seen one of those for sale. Only aware of one or two of those that exist. Guys, are either of you into Lions Made stuff or this sort of thing? Or is it just Andy, the barn pot that he is? In a good way. With all these things, and again, not Star Wars specific, but I remember as a kid keeping scrapbooks with Dairy Lee triangles stuck in them. And I can see if we'd had interest in lolly wrappers like those, we would have stuck them in as well. I have no idea what happened to those scrapbooks. Probably probably binned. Um, but it's such a shame because actually looking back to see the kind of crap we'd keep and the fact that we'd be interested in a little triangle sticker off a bit of cheese or you know a crisp packet or a lolly wrapper um but now you know fast fast forward a fantastic bit of history you don't the the styles the prices 
you just don't see it anymore and and every all the rappers today you basically rip them to take them off don't you yeah so you wouldn't be you wouldn't um these things wouldn't survive in the same way i mean you had to blow in them didn't you those sort of paper wrappers on a lolly to get them off you'd have to blow in them and the fact just suddenly come back to me there that's how you eat a lolly you have to blow in the wrapper first oh it's a great, great memory memories. that is a great memory that is just like oh my goodness of course yeah because they would they'd just be completely stuck <laughs> to the side of the lolly like oh i can't get my lolly out i've got to say i'm amazed at andy's knowledge as well it's just it's just <laughs> brilliant <laughs> and it's uh, an amazing subject what is i saying i mean i mean scrapbooks the same thing here i i had a, i had scrapbooks all over the place and of course they just got thrown away because they've just been sinister nonsense but that's why i do keep a scrapbook now stuff i just love i don't there's no form to it it's just if i get something star warsy i might put it in plastic and stick in the scrapbook but it does go in i mean you know from wristbands to celebration to you know cards and just anything i just stuck it in because it's just fun and you and you can just go through it and go oh yeah, i remember that that was a nonsense so i think scrapbooking is is quite a thing these days for crafty kind of people so andy let's continue we've gone off on a sidetrack there so the second um advertising item that i'm aware of um is a window sticker um, there's one that was posted on SWF UK a while back uh, by a guy called John. Um, his forum name is Monkey, M-U-N-K-I. So he's posted this window sticker. It's very similar to the quad poster, obviously a bit smaller, and it's square rather than rectangular. And then the third item, uh, which people are collecting, and I've seen two examples of these, both, again, funnily enough, posted up on SWF UK. One was from Paul, uh, who posts as Pulsar. Um, and one from Simon McCohen, ex of this parish. And these are um, display boards. So these are the sort of thing that you would have seen stood outside the shop or outside the ice cream van, listing the types of ice creams that you can get and the prices. Oh, yeah. uh, the one that Pulsar's put up, this is a quite a tall board with almost like a Star Wars racetrack around the side, but it's done in red and pink and orange. Uh, at the top, you've got uh, what looks like it could very well be the same window sticker that uh, I, I was talking about a moment ago. At the bottom, you've got a couple of lollies, and then in the middle, you've got a lion's made price range. Oh, I tell you what about those boards where you had all the ice creams on that used to appear on ice cream vans, which are a staple of this country, which I adore. And <laughs> you don't see them often, but it was the disappointment in you have your 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 visual images of all your ice cream. Oh, look at that! I'm, I'm going to have a lemonade sparkle. And the guy goes, "I'm got any, mate?" Like, okay, I'll have a, a raspberry sparkle. I'm got any of those either. You go, okay, okay, because obviously they were, they they had to put them in there, but. They very rarely, in my experience, had all the ones I wanted. They normally have the popular ones, like your Cornettos and all that sort of stuff. Oh, the crushing disappointment. So, uh, yeah, Salesman Pack. Um, This, I got a feeling this is something that Jason Joyner posted a while back. Um, And it's just a photograph, so that's all I got to go on. Uh, But uh, it looks like this is what was included in a pack that perhaps would have gone around to retailers or salesmen, uh, people promoting the range. So you've got a big brown envelope. um, And within that, uh, you've got a black and white image of the, uh, the window sticker. Uh, with the, the the logo and the free masks offer you've got a selection of the wrappers so you've got the six star wars wrappers you've got the c3po mask with its surround not punched out yet there are two black and white photographs and it looks as like as if it's some sort of publicity event you've got r2d2 and c3po in attendance uh, you've got a couple of kids uh, with the punch out masks you've got a uh, lovely lady carrying a tray with lots of ice creams on it so there was obviously some uh, big launch done to promote this range and a letter from Lion's Maid. So a lovely little selection. What I wouldn't give to get my hands on one of those. 
There can't be many of those, can there? <laughs> no, they, they can't. again, I've only seen this one uh, picture, and this is in Jason's collection, and I can't see him letting it go anytime soon. Right, Andy, that's brilliant so far. So far. But they didn't just stop in 1978, did they? They did not. They went, right, Empire Strikes Back. Let's have another lolly. Now, I'm going to just tell you what it, what it was. So this one was a toffee and mint flavour lolly, which I would have hated, with a chocolate flavour coating covered in tiny sugar balls. We had a few more things here on this time. So, Andy, take it away. We've got six different character wrappers, but there are two different variations. Mm. Uh, this is on the front of the wrapper so uh, we've got the uh, funnily enough although it's for empire strikes back we've still got a star wars logo star wars one was in landscape format this one is in portrait format so at the top of the wrapper you've got the lion's made logo below that you've got a star wars logo below that you've got darth vader in flames that um, very well-known publicity image and below that you've got the description of the lolly so it says a toffee flavor and mint ice lolly with chocolate flavor coating and sugar balls they sugar love their balls. sugar balls don't they and the variations so one of these wrappers uh, in the bottom right of the vader in flames logo uh, one of them says free sticker inside in a little sort of yellow bubble and the other lolly wrapper is missing that i don't know which came first whether the free sticker offer came first or whether uh, the free stickers were introduced later on but those are the two variation wrappers that you can get and the one that that hasn't got the free sticker offer that seems to be a lot harder to find uh, than the one that has got the offer these stickers, Andy, were they just thrown in there or did they come in a small wrapper? No, they were in a small wrapper, um, small um, clear cellophane wrapper um, that would uh, protect the sticker because uh, obviously it would be very sticky and nasty and horrible if it wasn't. <laughs> covered, in, covered in sugar balls, I'd imagine. <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, yeah, um, stickers in a little cellophane wrapper and there were a total of 12 stickers available. So if I just run through those very, very quickly. So you've got Luke Skywalker in his X-Wing pilot gear. You've got Leia in her Bespin outfit. C-3PO, Darth Vader, Yoda, Stormtrooper. Uh, you've then got a shot of Han Solo and Lando together. You've got Han Solo on his Tauntaun. And those are all photographic images. And then the other four are actually drawn images. And that is Boba Fett, Lando, Chewbacca and R2-D2. So that's the 12 stickers that were available. And then the lolly wrappers themselves, whereas the Star Wars ones had red and yellow wrappers, these are all uh, yellow backgrounds. And you've got Darth Vader, you've got Yoda, Luke on his Tauntaun, uh, although the description there is just Tauntaun. You've then got Boba Fett, Princess Leia and Lando Calrissian. Well, we, we will read them out again because it's quite funny. But just something you mentioned there, that which, which seems to be becoming a bit of a theme that I'd never considered before, that when Empire Strikes came out, they didn't really go with that whole logo thing. I don't know whether that's something we all picked up on later or it, it just never got used. But it seems these big companies and when they were producing these products, Star Wars was the was the format of of the promotion. And they didn't you know, they just went with Star Wars because it was, you know, it was known to everyone. You know, it's like, you know, calling. You know, I mean, it, I mean, yeah, that, that whole branding thing was so massive with the Star Wars thing that they just kept going with it. It, did, it didn't really. They probably didn't think the Empire Strikes Back was, was going to be as big a seller as having the word Star Wars on there. Probably why they had the word Star Wars sometimes in the Empire Strikes Back logo. But definitely something we seem to mention. I think it happened on the shoes, didn't it, very briefly. That it seemed to be more Star Wars on the shoes. And they didn't bother with the word Empire Strikes Back because it didn't mean as much as Star Wars. So definitely something we, we're, we're seeing you know, often. And when it yeah, got it's, to, a, it's interesting, isn't it? And uh, I, I wonder whether it's something to do with the timing. Um, 
The Empire Strikes Back wasn't as heavily promoted or merchandised, nothing like as much as the original Star Wars. And uh, yeah. as you say, I think there was probably a lot of doubt about how successful the film, film was going to be. Traditionally, sequels hadn't performed as well as the original movie. And a lot of the early merchandise does have the Empire Strikes Back logo. And I guess that was released to coincide with the film. Um, and then, obviously, the film was a big success. Um following its 1980 release. And as you go through 1981, 1982, I think more merchandise was coming out. But by that stage, people knew that the Star Wars saga was going to continue. There was a third film in the works. And perhaps by that stage, because it wasn't associated with the release of a movie, when they were putting stuff out in 1981, 1982, some of these companies perhaps thought, well, we'll go with the Star Wars logo and we'll uh, embrace the whole of the, the saga rather than tying it to one particular film. Because, yeah, we, we saw that with quite a lot of the merchandise, um, thinking particularly the HC Ford stationary range. Uh, a lot of that had the, uh, um, the, the Star Wars logo uh, on the products that were released for Empire. And then when Jedi came out, obviously to go with the movie release, they switched over to a Jedi logo. So it could just have been to do with the timing of the release as it coincided with the, the, the movie releases. That's great points, sir. Right, let's read through these things. This is my favourite part of it. Boba Fett is the best bounty hunter in the galaxy and cares little for whom he works, as long as they pay him well. He wears a modified uniform of the Mandalore Super Commandos, who were wiped out by the Jedi Knights in the Clone Wars. Darth Vader is the seven-foot Imperial Lord of the Sith. As a young Jedi Knight, he was seduced by the dark side of the Force. His face is obscured by a grotesque breath mask. Lando. The suave and dashing administrator of Cloud City, Lando is a former associate of Han Solo. Han calls Lando a gambler, con artist, and all-round scoundrel, but nonetheless sets his assistance in evading Darth Vader. Leah, once a senator and princess in Alderaan, Princess Leah is now a dedicated leader of the rebel effort. Beautiful but outspoken and courageous, Leah is undaunted in her struggle to overthrow Imperial Tinnery. Tauntorn, a large grey snow creature used as a beast of burden on the ice planet of Hoth. Rebel officers and sentries find its keen sense of smell and hearing invaluable while on patrol to protect their rebel base. Yoda is the wise old Jedi Master who trained Jedi Knights for over 800 years. Dressed in rags and little more than two feet tall, he lives on a swamp planet in the Dagobah system. Carry on, sir. Right. So uh, they kind of ended there, really. I was, I was, I've covered in the, the history, um, the way the company went um, over over time and eventually sold for £714. But there was a special edition released in 1997. It's worth checking out uh, for the the um, uh, release of Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition. And uh, it was Nestle who actually um, uh, released this. So worth checking out. It's uh, It's got the Fab Ice Lolly. I, I'm assuming they, they didn't keep going with the Fab Ice Lolly, but uh, it comes in an eight-pack box and a fruit pastel lollies in a four-pack. Uh, definitely worth checking that out if you're into kind of like the whole range. And uh, Andy, did you ever come across that? Or, or did you get it at the time, maybe? Yeah, aware of it. But no, I mean, I, I only collect vintage, so I stop at uh, sort of 86, 87. So, uh, it's the last not, thing, not, Andy. Not on my focus, mate. It's the last thing in the range. You'd have the whole range then if you collected everything. But anyway, right, guys, absolutely brilliant memories, some great ice lolly stories, and uh, we look forward to talking about a licensee next month. If you've got a burning ambition for a, a licensee and you want to come and talk about it, let me know and we'll we'll drag you in like we dragged in Andy and Craig. <laughs> so we'll uh, see you next month. Bye.
I thought it'd be fun to round off this section with a letter that was written by a young chap to Lionsmaid back in its pomp during the 1970s. This was from John Estley and came from the website www.kzwp.com, which is all about the Lions product ranges. This is from his account of the exchange. Back in the days when there was a plethora of luridly coloured ice lawyers, when no one worried about e-numbers, I was a 12-year-old schoolboy who enjoyed making his own comics and eating plenty of ice lollies. It seemed only natural, therefore, that I should start collecting them. The practical difficulties of collecting and keeping the many and varied wrappers with their remnants still lurking and congealing inside soon started to become apparent, and it was one day whilst loitering outside the local corner shop and picking discarded wrappers from the bin that it dawned on me that it was probably a better way. I would put pen to paper and write to the manufacturers, writers both Walls and Lionsmaid, asking whether it would be possible for them to send me some mint condition wrappers. Imagine my disappointment when Walls gave me the brush off. In contrast, imagine my delight when Lionsmaid wholeheartedly embraced my endeavour and so started what was to be a correspondence over several years, chiefly with their fabulous PR officer Brian Burton, who not only sent me copious amounts of wrappers, but also collectible cards. Who remembers Jubilee or Space 1999? Character lolly sticks like Kevin Keegan's Goals, Superman's collection of superheroes, and even Star Wars face masks. Those big stickers displaying the product range that you see on the freezers, together with publicity material for new lolly launches, and so on. I responded in kind with my comments on what I thought of the products, together with questions about how the flavours were dreamt up, who designed the wrappers, suggestions for new lollies, and so on, including one for a Dracula lolly, which was to feature a red strawberry filling, which, when bit into, would ooze blood. This, however, was dismissed later. I was already in ice lolly heaven when one day, through my letterbox, a postman delivered a letter from Brian that was read with trembling hands and heart. An invitation to spend a day visiting the Lions Made ice cream plant with my dad to see how the ice lollies were made. It was like Willy Wonka inviting me to his factory. A date was set. I was attired in something smart, including one of my dad's best ghastly floral ties, and we drove up from Chichester to Bridge Park on the outskirts of London for our visit. There were no umpalumpers. But there was Brian in person, together with Charles, the factory manager, who led the tour around the clanking, whirring, deafening machinery. It was a fascinating and fantastic exploration of the factory, and I was apparently the youngest person to have ever had this privilege. I still have a set of photographs taken as a great record of my day, one of which was then published in our local paper, My Five Minutes of Fame. The tour culminated in a presentation of the latest set of lolly wrappers for that summer, together with a whopping great box of lollies and ice creams packed in dry ice for us to take home. Sadly for me, Brian eventually left Lions Made for pastures new, and my passion for all things ice lolly was gradually replaced by other interests, such as a burgeoning interest in loud rock music and girls, for which the idea of collecting lolly wrappers might have landed me in the proverbial train spotter camp. The collection has, however, remained carefully stored in a succession of lofts throughout the intervening 25 years or so. Even my children have enjoyed seeing some of the wrappers, such as those for the Mr. Men lolly. Who knows, one day perhaps they too will start collecting something and also in the process begin a journey of discovery that will bring them equal pleasure. And now on to Rapid Fire with Justin and Jen. What was your first figure purchased as a child? ATST, the driver. Favourite cardback image? Uh, gotta be Leia. Original Leia. Star Wars. Favourite foreign licence? Oh, these days, probably Harbour. Uh, that, that's mine as well. I love the Harbour logo for some reason. 
Yeah, I agree. Favourite figure of vehicle or playset as a child? The Millennium Falcon. And your favourite figure of vehicle or playset as an adult? Favourite figure is probably Han Solo. Smallhead. Favourite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. Favourite Star Wars character on screen? Princess Leia. Favourite convention or event you've attended? I'll have to say this past year, the annual. Yeah. Your Holy Grail item? Probably the kit-bashed, quick-fire Han and Greedo set. What happened to your childhood collection? I probably only have a couple pieces left over, and I guess the rest were sold at garage sale of some sort. Your biggest Star Wars collecting regret? Taking a break for 10 years in the early 2000s. Favorite item from a foreign country that wasn't released in the state? Oh boy, probably the Palatoy slash Canadian slash Tool Toys Death Star, the cardboard set. Yeah, good on. When was the best time period to be a Star Wars fan? I don't think it's ever stopped from, from 77 till now. And if you just had to take one item with you to another planet, what would it be and why? Probably the 12 figure display stand uh, with the figures. I guess that's more than one item, but I'd like to just take that set. <laughs> Great answers. Thanks very much, Justin. Right, Jen, we'll just the same thing with you then. So, if you had to have a figure focus, what would it be? Han Solo. What's your favourite Star Wars character on screen? Uh, Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> favourite scene from a Star Wars movie? Probably when Han is about to get frozen in the carbonite and Leia yells, I love you, and he says, I know. Yeah, we'll, we'll get quite a few people see that one. What was your first purchase as an adult? Um, I am not so much a collector as Justin is. But I did buy a, a Lily Letty Vader. Oh, wow, yeah. Favorite Star Wars costume on screen? I'm going to have to go with the metal bikini. It's just so awesome. Your earliest childhood memory of Star Wars? I'll never forget watching the movies on... My dad had them all recorded on VHS tapes from TV. And I'll never forget watching the scene where they are taken out to the Sarlacc pit. And that was my first memory of Star Wars. Your favorite convention or event you've attended? Oh, they're all great. Uh, celebration. Which one? Which one do you see was your favorite of the celebrations? Probably just the first one we went to, which was Orlando, Orlando Celebration 6, just because it was just a whole world, and I felt like my eyes were wide open the entire time. Favorite Star Wars movie? Probably Empire. If you had own one Star Wars prop, what would it be? Oh, the DL-44 Hans Blaster, for sure. When was the best time period to be a Star Wars fan? Honestly, I think now. With all the new movies coming out and all the excitement around Star Wars, like I think now is the best. And if you had to take just one item with you to another planet, what would it be and why? Honestly, probably my little Lily Letty Vader because it's the one purchase that I made on my own and I think it's the cutest thing ever. Well, thank you very much, Justin and Jennifer. It's been an absolutely fantastic interview. Many thanks for coming on the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Thanks cool. for having us, Richard. Thank you so much. Right, okay, that's been a brilliant show, that, guys. Before we wrap this up, so just go through some feedback. I've been meaning to go and check out Rebel Scum, which I do, and I've responded to a couple of messages on there, but I think it's time to bring them up now. So many thanks to Trench Run. And Trench Run was commenting on the episode, I think it was 66 now, where we had um, that amazing interview with Blake. And Trench Run has posted, 
I started collecting in the late 90s and the only place to buy vintage in Sydney was the Parramatta Toy Show, now legendary among Aussie collectors. Anyone who went regularly remembers seller who's a driver from Melbourne, about a 9 hour drive. And he had a stall right next to the entrance. He had all the best stuff, although very expensive. He was asking an insanely high 400 Australian dollars, about 250 American dollars, for mint on card yak faces and anakins, but he was sweeping the deal by throwing in a handful of Power the Force coins. Pre-internet days, I'm not sure if the Aussie collecting community were aware of the rarity of the Big Five at this time. I don't know how to post pictures, but I have an advert from a 1985 Toy World catalogue advertising Power the Force for 99 cents. In the advert are a dozen Power the Force Minter cards including Yak, Anakin and the others from the Big Five. It's like a map to the Holy Grail. Okay, that'd be awesome times. Eh? If only we knew now, what we knew then? I just don't know how to pronounce this one. It's a, it's a Sichlid Jedi. Sichlid Jedi or something like that. Uh, please do the Green Harbors podcast next time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's referring back to Chris Fawcett's interview on the Blue Harvest podcast where he said um, that there is another one, the Green Harvest one. Uh, we will get Chris and Gus tied down and we will get that one recorded. So everyone starts from UK, Scott Cato. Absolutely nailed this. Depressing listen to a Christmas episode in January. Isn't it, though? Absolutely bang on right there, Scott. Uh, Ian Palafan, just finishing listening to this month's Glorious podcast. I must admit that I do feel quite humbled by the comments that Mark made about me with the rest of the gang. It was so nice to hear your thoughts on me. Thank the Lord they were positive. And I knew that you were all going to be top guys to meet and to get to know, and I wasn't disappointed in any way. Don't have very high standards, Ian, do With this being my first FF due to being away previously, it was such a highlight in my year getting to hang out with you all. Such a great time chewing the fat with Mark over the weekend. Such an all-around top bloke, as you all know, we certainly do. It was also so glad to finally talk with Pete, Rich, Jason, Spoons and all the other guys from the forum who were there over the weekend, so worth the trip. Great postcard this month, Graham's interview, Pete's record selection, there were definitely a few choice cuts in there. I also enjoyed the presenter lineup this month, both Mark and Ed's vintage knowledge on display, although to shame Mark didn't take any pictures of him in the Battle Gal- Battlestar Galactica crop top jacket. I could just imagine the look on his wife's face. Looking forward to the next one already, hopefully getting back to FF this year to spend some more quality time with you all. Yep, absolutely Ian, it was great to meet up with you and we are all looking forward to the next FF trip whenever that gets announced. Uh, Paul Davis, apologies for pranging your car, Rich. Send me the bill. Yep, absolutely, Paul. Cheers for that. I will get that sorted out. And Spoons commented on there. Rich, proud to be confused with Pete. Absolutely, Spoons. Who wouldn't want to be confused with Pete? Uh, over on Facebook, Seahawks' post has clearly been the big winner over on the Facebook posts. Uh, Richard Howard suggesting that a jigsaw puzzle of the reverse would have been an awesome jigsaw to do. Absolutely great shot of the Jackson figures. Many thanks to Lee Gregory, Ross Cargill, Jeff Tilly and many others for their continued support of the show. A couple of names I've mentioned there that we would love to have on as interview guests one day. Um, I certainly know Lee's been around for a long time on Stars from UK, so if you're interested in coming on, Lee, hit one of us and we can get that sorted out. And finally, huge shout out to Chris Porteous. Chris has been doing our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter feeds. Um, he's been doing an absolutely fantastic job. We've been getting lots and lots of followers and interaction on there. I do pop in from time to time, but mostly it's in Chris's capable hands. If anybody wants to leave us any feedback, then you can message us on social media by searching The Vintage Rebellion, send an email to swtvrpodcast.gmail.com or by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. If anybody wants one of our fanzines, there's still got some left, so please send us a DM and Pete will sort those out uh, or contact Pete directly to get one of the fanzines. 
Huge thanks to our guests this month, Justin Haney, Jen Thunders and Ron Salvatore for their input. That's really what makes this show good. It's really what it's about, positive discussions and debate in the hobby. Now, with no further waffle from me, it's goodbye from Pete. Uh, yeah, bye. It's goodbye from Andy, not Spoons. Cheers, guys. And it's goodbye from Andy, is Spoons. Bye-bye. And it's later, guys, from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? <coughs> Just out of interest, though, had your grandparents ever won anything in the Reader's Pride, uh, Draw Project? <laughs> Reader's Draw... <laughs> Reader's... What is it again? Come on. Reader's Draw... Digest, isn't it? Reader's, Reader's Digest Prize Draw. That's it. Reader's Digest Prize Draw. So how did your grand... <laughs> yeah, apologies to guys as well for my, my bad uh, connection earlier. It seems to have been all right since then, doesn't it? Sorry. Right. So... Suppose it happens. All of us, believe me. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, I, my, my computer's so far away from my router, so I might get one of those plug-in, uh, uh, you know, it sends it through the... Yeah. The electricity. Yeah, I've got one of those. I've, yeah. I've been using them because I mean, I'm, I'm actually down the shed, you see, so it's on the same electrical network. But it's definitely, I think Richard would probably testify. It's definitely since we've been, I've been using it. It's definitely been better. Yeah. Are they, easy, are they easier to set up for a luddite like me? Absolutely. Plug it in. Plug t- it in. Switch the button mm-hmm. on. It, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so easy. Even a banana could do it. But get a good one though. TP Link will do you. TP Link. Yeah. I mean, other st- oh, you my um. Yeah, my uh, wireless connector used to be a TP link, lasted for years, but broke quite recently. I got mine from Asda for about 25 quid, they've been spot on. I think because mine's down, because I'm down the shed, I needed a bit of a stronger one, because even though it's the same kind of network, um, it just, you know, I just thought I'd, I'd get a stronger, but about 30 quid, if you pay any less than that, then you're in Richard's Asda territory. Right, come on, five, ten minutes and we're done. Uh, good times. Right, okay, so just the ending and then uh, goodbyes, right. I've got to record just a tiny bit here for Autofire because I missed it when I uh, put the editing together. So.